0: Hello and welcome to Girls Gone Canon, a song of ice and fire, episode 94, Jamie six in a feast for crows featuring a very special guest, Don Willie. I am one of your hosts, Chloe.
1: And I'm another one of your hosts, Eliana. But this week, there is another one of your hosts, in fact. <laughs> it's not just me. We have a very special guest. We're very excited. This week, we are joined by our good friend, Don Willie. You may know him from A Dawn of Ice and Fire or The Hype Watch*.
0: Yeah, you might also know him from his Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. coverage he's been doing over on Darren Jacques. Is it Darren Jacques' YouTube? Is that correct? Am I making that up?
2: Darren Jakes. Jakes, okay. Oh, Jakes. Jakes. Yeah. I'm just trying
0: to make things fancy, honestly, you know, all the time. Hey, it's,
2: it's, it's all good.
0: <laughs> I've got the LaCroix uh, bubble in, you know?
2: Well, you know, I, I, I think his channel is officially called these reviews these reviews okay yeah okay but he goes by his regular name on twitter yeah
0: uh you know i'll link it below i have the twitter i have the youtube channel and i you have me partially swayed to finally catch up on agents of shield as i've told you we were actually just waxing about it i have not passed season two and i know it gets better and i know i have to go on yes you
2: must (laughs) what uh what else have you been doing tell us tell us about what's going on well you know like many of you out here i've been trying to duck and dodge big rona Um, (laughs) so far that's worked out for me other (laughs) than that not doing the youtube videos i should be doing trying to reorganize the hypes watch so that we can get back to (laughs) actually making videos some content yeah you know uh, it's it's been a while. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Season eight kind of had kind of uh, burned us out, and it. it was way before Daenerys actually set fire to King's Landing. Uh, so, yeah, we're you know, listen, we're, we're we're cooling right now. I'm looking at trying to do some new things. I'm trying to work on some animated
0: wow. things,
2: a song of ice and fire related, if I possibly can.
0: Oh, okay. Well, you know, and yeah. I watched a bunch of your Fire and Blood videos after we all went and hung out at the, uh, the theater in New Jersey, right? In Jersey City for Fire and Blood. That was forever ago that we were together. And I watched some of those videos after, and then they stopped coming. So I'm really excited to see what you have next.
2: Yeah. I, well, you know what? I definitely, I'm going to resume that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, because House of the Dragon is supposed to be Coming,
1: allegedly. Sometime,
2: <laughs> someday. So yeah, so I figure by the time same
1: as winds of winter.
2: winter. <laughs> yeah, you know, so maybe by the time House of the Dragon drops, you know, there'll be enough content that I've that I've put out there that people can say, hey, you know, this guy happens to be uh, pretty knowledgeable. I'm like, yeah, I've been knowledgeable for a long time. he will be Bastards, sitting there but, like <laughs> yeah. he knows
0: what he was talking about after all.
2: Yeah, you know, I was like, oh. I mean, it only took you guys six years to figure it out, but it, 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 it's fine. Well, we will absolutely link
0: the true dawn of Ice and Fire below in the description, in the details. We'll get that playlist going. The uh, assault of the high, absolutely. Very salty, and he is here to talk about Jamie Six.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. You know, spread the salt, folks. Spread <laughs> the salt. There's a lot to be
1: salty about, as you said regarding um, many of the things that have come out. But here are some things that are not worth being salty about. So we got some emails and tweets and note, which now you are going to join us for, Billy. One of them comes from our friend Jason Alden, aka Cavalden, on Twitter, says, I have a question. With the up-and-coming release of Dune coming to the cinema, will the Girls Gone Canon be tackling the Frank Herbert Dune novels?
0: Oh, okay, Jason, this is half disappointing. It means there's a chance. It doesn't mean that Eliana's going to let me. This is mom says no kind of thing going on here. What? Uh, But me, I say possibly. So mom might be worn down. No, not a full series. Uh, We're going to leave that to some of the greats like Quinn's ideas and a handful of other Doom podcasts I think we can link at some point, but we might do a Patreon episode or something. In the meantime, you know. I'd love to get Eliana to do an episode on the Betty Jesse uh, I, I don't know, I think that'd be something in our in our alley.
1: Yeah, it's something I would have to really revisit. I think I've told Chloe this, but last time I read Dune was like 13 or 14 years ago. <laughs> it was not a legal adult. And you're like, yeah, that's how long ago it was. And there's some things that really stuck with me, and other things that I would definitely have to revisit. I actually thought I was going to read like books two, three, and four, and I own them somewhere too, and that never did. Story of my life, but it's something that I'm open to discussing someday. If we're talking about things that are coming to like a film sequence, you know, I'm just gonna say if we're gonna make some trades and like compromises, I mean, granted, technically, Chloe's already done that by reading his dark materials, but I'm gonna throw it out there. Foundation Foundation is one of my big loves. The Foundation trilogy. So, I don't know. Uh, Don Billy, really, are you excited for the Dune the Dune cinematic adaptation? <laughs> Timothee
2: <Dimitri> <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, not Timothy Chalamet? I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I know nothing about Dune other than the fact that Patrick Stewart played in it back in the 80s. Uh, <gasps>
0: you know what? That movie I, wasn't I that
2: bad. It could have been worse.
1: I didn't see it.
0: It's not good, but it's not bad. It looks
1: like it's got cool costumes from what I've yeah. seen of photos of one dress, one single dress. I'm like, that's a cool dress, but it's
2: uh, I, You might like it. I know I lost all kinds of like nerd street credit with that, but trust me, I will, I will earn it back.
1: <laughs> somehow, <laughs> nah. dude. You you're I'm, watching all of like Agents of Shield, and you've got
2: all this other stuff, so. Agents shield i like there's sh- so
0: much that like there's just so much
2: media yeah you know like i'm, I'm, I'm a huge star trek nerd so that that's that's kind of where i fall into okay
1: i've never seen star trek so that's that's my great nerd sin but again everyone just check out like quinn's channel i recommended quinn's channel to my therapist <laughs> and my therapist loves it and i was like that guy's really good these are really good videos
2: shout out to quinn look he's doing he's doing major things love that guy
0: dude his graphic novel just hit 35k for backers i'm so proud that's awesome he deserves it
2: yeah you know what i'm going to actually make sure to buy like one of the deluxe things when i get paid you know like when when i'm not so broke
0: yeah i went for the signed hardcover i want to say I'd have to look at my receipt, but Shame. it's uh I, I, I couldn't decide. There are so many really cool perks. We'll leave a link for that in our description as well. You guys are gonna have a good reading plethora to go through after this for sure. <laughs>
1: yeah, with all the things that we're like just check this thing out. Maybe we'll cover it, maybe we won't. I don't know. No but just in it. case, yeah. be prepared.
0: So we did get another tweet from our friend Caddy at Caddy underscore wampus on Twitter, who said, I'm reading this name. I know it is a good name. Uh, I'm re-listening to your uttered episodes. Dad, no! And you dad. mentioned it was interesting that when he's thinking of the right thing to do, he thinks of John Aaron. I thought about him naming his kids after his living foster fam before his dead birth fam.
2: Thoughts? It's, it's funny, like, the more I think about the Starks, the more I'm like, they deserve to lose. <laughs> uh, and I know that's that's an unpopular opinion, but I mean Ned, you know, like God. So he named John after John Aaron, who honorable man. But he named his Shrewborn Rob after somebody who knew he knew was you know uh, a whoremonger. I mean, come on, man. He named he named Rob after after you know Robert Baratheon, like the dude who basically got jealous that Ned's sister shacked up with somebody else and decided to go and kill him. That's kind of what it boils down to, you know. You know, the rest of the, the kids when I mean, they already have their own names or whatever but you get the point that I'm, that I'm going with here.
0: Yeah, and I wonder if it's like Ned felt like he like he felt pressured to name Rob after Robert, right? Ned had this front that he had to come home with and it was almost like john was a freebie right like he had to act as if john is his kid that he got in the war and he's like all right i'll name it after my foster dad so i guess that's like that's an appropriate level name right like he's putting all the lessons he learned into that name but like to name his firstborn i guess like he's expected to give it a grand name right and i don't know ned obviously also wasn't thinking right also Did Ned name him, or did Catelyn name him and name him for a great king? You know what I mean? We don't know that, do we?
1: So, we actually do. We have a Sospake Martin from February 28th, 2002. One of the questions someone asked was, Since all of their mothers died, who gave Jon Snow, Daenerys, and Tyrion Lannister their names? And George responds with, Mothers can name a child before birth or during or even after, <laughs> even while they are dying. Danny was most like named by her mother, Tyrion by his father, John by Ned, and I think that the uh, wording is quite yeah. intentional, of course, in terms of what we know about John's parentage right and and how Danny's called out as being named by her mother and and Tyrion by his father but for for Ned, I think it's and John, it's interesting, it's all those things that you said. It's kind of poignant in a way because John was like a, f- John Aaron was like a father to Ned, even though there was no blood between them. There's some blood, right, between John Snow and Ned Stark, but he's sort of taking on that role, and I think there's a poetry there, but I think there's also kind of like a meta reason, right? Because then you get this like cool thing of like, John Snow, who's his parents? Who is he? It's kind of like John Doe. Oh my god. Of- I'm not joking. I'm being very serious. Yeah, I know. I'm saying it it in a very no, it trivial is, though. tone, But
0: hey. my my one qualm, though, is like, Rob, I think maybe Catelyn might have named him because she thought she was supposed to name him that because that's Ned's BFF. That's all she knows about the fucking foreign stranger guy to her. You know, like she doesn't know him. So yeah, the king. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, she just banged him once and she had Rob before Ned came home. So I would imagine she might have named him. Yeah. She probably was like, Ned, I named him Rob after Robert. Aren't you so pleased with me? And he's like,
2: yeah, whatever, lady. (laughs) Oh, no. I mean, if anything, if you wanted to honor anyone, wouldn't it have been like either Bran or Rickard? Right. Those came later.
1: I can see why she wouldn't name her firstborn son Bran after Brandon after like, hey, Ned, remember that guy I was supposed to marry that wasn't you? okay remember well, that hot
2: least, guy <laughs> You're not. okay well at least rickard and that came later too
0: i guess it was a similar wound you know in a way like they did just burn alive die alive etc whatever they could just die
1: yeah
0: i don't know i guess like she probably really thought she was just doing the right thing well and i guess there's a parallel there with liana whatever she did name john right because she named john like, yeah. you can say whatever you want, whether it's Aegon, Aim, and Harris, but, like, Liana did name him. Liana might have named him with suggestions, but she chose the name, like, as he was, you know, as she was dying. So, I don't know, maybe that's a parallel with Catelyn. Like, her firstborn, she chose the name. She thought it was a great plan. I don't
1: know. I don't know. I think also... Again, coming back to the meta, then you end up with some really great comparisons. And I think contrast between how Rob Stark is as an older brother, right, and mm-hmm. the way that his siblings see him versus the very complex relationship that Robert Baratheon has with his brothers. Oh, uh, even though they share a name and they're namesakes, right? Everyone's like, oh my God, I love Rob. I want to be just like Rob. He was the greatest older brother ever and he loved us. And Robert Baratheon's brother's like, I kind of want to be like Robert, but also, why didn't he show me any affection? <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's true. I mean, but you know, think about it. If you had Stannis as a uh, younger brother, would you really show him any of that No, you know? absolutely not. That kid would have
0: been orphaned.
2: You know, I'm sorry,
1: uh, Stannis fans, but also not sorry. You know what podcast you've tuned into.
2: Yeah. You know what you're I mean, here for. You know, Renly seems like he might have been cool because he kind of tried to emulate uh, Robert a little bit with his style of dress. But he Yeah. You know, he even... Made it a little bit more flamboyant, and everybody kept on saying, "Oh, he looks like he looks like a young Robert," you know. So, if anything, you know, he might have gravitated to him a little more. And then it's like, you know, when you hear about the relationship between Robert and Stannis, it's always kind of this contentious thing where it's like Stannis wanted the approval that Robert got, and he felt like Robert never really earned it. It's just kind of like. Robert's legend was always bigger than Robert actually was. Yeah. Like there's the, the there's a quote about him that that Stannis says is like, yeah, Robert would have came down and, and swung his war hammer and like tore the whole castle down or something like that or Yeah. Like whatever, yeah. whatever it is. And he and he's just talking about how big Robert's legend was and how Stannis just wanted to get out of the shadow. Of like no look i I've done all of this great stuff. How come I don't get recognized, and only only Robert gets recognized, and then they skip over me and they go to Renley, and they're like, Oh, Renley's like a like a young Robert except he's you know even more charming, and it's like, God damn it,
1: <laughs> yeah, and also he didn't have to deal with Renly as much in some ways, but I also wonder like I as someone who has no younger siblings, I've heard that's annoying, right? like to have a younger sibling who tries to copy everything you do. I don't know. If that's yeah. true or not. You know, we have a different question from our friend and Patreon, Dibbles and Bits, also a good name, a.k.a. Scott. He,
0: uh, he wrote us this email after a couple of glasses of bourbon, which I commend. Aliana especially commends. He sobered up and still sent it. Bit for him. Yeah, I approve of it. You know, I feel like a lot of people start like their that. emails to us and they're like, so I was drunk when I wrote this and then I woke up and decided to send it anyway. And I'm really glad that that's us. Like, that's the podcast. You're saying that, too. We will always accept your drunk and sober uh, revisions every time. So Scott said, Feast is one of my favorites because I feel like it's about building tension than anything else. And I think it applies to Jamie throughout the Riverlands. You all mentioned Catelyn hanging over Jamie 5 and continuing on in Jamie 6. If Feast and Dance were combined, Jamie's arc would start with the death of Tywin and follow with the gallows march to Lady Stoneheart. He's confronted by his Lannister past sins, Harrenhal, Derry, River Run, and we see him interact with one of his few maternal figures, Jenna, and tests himself against Illyn Payne, his own Stoneheart. In some ways, different motivations mm. every night. Illyn carries orders. Stoneheart's path is vengeance. A little different, but I see the parallel. How do you feel Jamie's chapters will inform what happens to him if and when he stands before Stoneheart? If a storm of swords was Jamie finding goodness, Beast is testing that goodness and asking if it's enough to undo his sinister sins.
1: And then we also have Dibbles and Bits going on a bit saying, P.S., Below is my tipsy ramblings on Lady Stoneheart, but I'm not sure if it's relevant to Jamie's chapters yet, but Kat and Lady Stoneheart are two of my favorite characters. I think it's interesting that Dibbles and Bits has made that distinction. And I like to remind myself when I'm reading Jamie and Brienne in A Feast for Crows that there's a supernatural figure lurking ominously in the woods. I feel a lot of the fandom still thinks of Lady Stoneheart in terms of a firebite or relore, but she is literally a banshee and bears physical characteristics of different versions of the spirit on the British Isles. Most are described as having red, weeping eyes, dressing in grey, and a are characterized as having red hair. In particular, Lady Stoneheart seems to be based on the cognac, which is spelled really differently, but thank you for including the <laughs> pronunciation notes, dimples and bits. It's spelled C-A-O-I-N-E-A-G. Or weeper. That's a that's way uh, easier to read. A banshee in Scottish folklore who kings and walt- whales pretend the death of her clan or family, who is often found by a body of water such as a glen, stream, or river. In fact, cognag were said to have been heard prior to the massacre of Glencoe, one of George R. R. Martin's inspirations for the Red Wedding.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. That's really interesting. I uh, I really like how Dibbles and Bits outlined that Storm is Jamie finding his goodness, Feast is testing that goodness, and asking what is the answer to that, right? Especially with, some, with this banshee hanging over everything. I mean, Stoneheart is downright terrifying. He's absolutely right that we're not. Uh, a lot of people don't think about Stoneheart in those terrifying terms. They just think like kind of undead Catelyn, but... Uh, she's described as a different woman every time we meet her in this text. So I'm interested to see for the Winds of winner. I wonder if the of winner will be Jamie regressing a little bit. And I know I'm going to get things thrown at me by uh, many a crowd on the internet for saying that, but I think that he's probably going to be pretty downtrodden if he survives Lady Stoneheart, things are going to be pretty shitty. He does, you know, where we leave him is in kind of, Going off to meet his new destiny. What's going to happen? We don't know.
2: All right, so, you know, when it comes to this whole thing with the with the Jamie arc, Jamie is kind of the, I guess, classic frat boy <laughs> that, you know, he obtained a high government position. And not that he didn't deserve it. Not that he didn't deserve it, but he has it. And he wields his power... Pretty sparingly, but when he does wield his power, it is it is kind of vicious, right? So here you have him trying to reform his reputation because people they have this thing in his in their mind that he is a dishonorable, rich, spoiled brat who has a position that he really shouldn't have because a better man got forced out, and now he's you know uh, playing cleanup. And all of the sins of not only himself, but his family are coming back to haunt him because he's getting blamed for stuff that he had nothing to do with. But it's just like, yeah, well, you know, you're still in cahoots with all this. And even if you didn't do it, you would have been involved if you had the chance. So it's testing his own personal morality because he's like, hey, he's trying to think of himself as a better man. And he's not sure whether or not he actually is the better person that he would like to think of himself as. So when he's doing all these different acts and he's talking to different people throughout Feast, especially when he gets to the the whole gallows march, it's one of those things where he's like, look, I don't necessarily want to be here. But I do understand that there's still a reputation that has to be maintained. Which is why, like, in this particular chapter that we're going to be discussing, there's a lot of, like, are you really going to make me say the words? Because it's like, he doesn't want to be that guy, but he's like, all right, fine. Like, fine, if you're going to force me to be that guy, then fine, I'm going to play the part as well as I can. But secretly, he's like, that's not what I want to do. I'd rather be on on, on the beach and Dorne somewhere, you know, sipping on some Arbor Gold or something like that. But here's the situation I found myself in. And so I I must play a part of Tywin Jr. almost.
0: Yeah, and Tywin's fucked all of them up so much in the head yeah. that they need to feel that way, right? Like, because Jamie is so close right here, right now. He could turn the ties. He could say to the Blackfish, he could, you know, turn and he could say, i I want to join you guys and get vengeance. I want to, you know, help rebuild a better world for the kids to live in. I want to make a peace treaty. And, but he knows that Cersei is batshit, uh, but he knows that Cersei is done for, like deep down. And he just won't admit it to himself that his family sinned and they were mostly bad. Like you have Davin and Jenna playing these balancing roles of like the Lannisters aren't all bad, but He's complicit, right? He's still working for his mob boss family at the end of the day. He's going and breaking knees for his mob boss family, and he's trying not to break any knees. But at the end of the day, he wore red and gold to this meeting with Brynden. You know, he chose Lannister. And I think we're going to explore that today and talk about, is he going to choose Lannister in the end?
2: I mean, listen, he always wanted to be seen as a golden lion. Always. And he, he's disillusioned with the whole process. He's disillusioned with everything. And the, the one thing that he kind of still has in his head is like, if if I have nothing else, I still have the name Lannister. Like, if all else fails, people will see this red and gold, and I will still get respect off of that if nothing, if if absolutely nothing else.
0: Not a lot of respect on that name anymore, though, is there? <laughs> no respect on that name. I will put none of it.
2: <sighs> I mean, well, you know what? But it's like uh, I don't know if you guys have ever ever seen the movie Bronx Tale. Yeah. But uh, you know, there's the the classic line in there, like "is better to be feared than or loved," and you know, he listen. At the end of the day, he'd rather be feared because fear lasts long. And fears what he knows.
1: Agreed with all of those things. And I also really loved going back to what Don Willy really said earlier about, um, you know, they did kind of oust Barriston so that Jamie could get his promotion. Right. They fired mm-hmm. him so that that could happen to Jamie. And it, I think that Don really even talked about Jamie as like a trust fund kid at one point, besides being a frat boy, all these things often go together as uh, I've learned in my experience once, once upon a time, but you know, along with all of that, of course, Catelyn is hanging over this story, both it, with the with the double entendre and not. And we're going to dig into that a lot more in this chapter. And, you know, we are going to go into our lightning round soon. But before then, we have one last exciting announcement. It's not an email or tweet of note. You know, next week, to help us close off Jamie in A Feast for Crows, we are going to also have another guest. We are going to have another guest. We are bringing on Kristen. She's a moderator
0: on the Song of Ice and Fire Facebook group. Uh, you might know her from some of her Jamie and Brienne tweets on Twitter here and there, sparingly, especially when the bad show is on. KRT. But yes, our friend Kristen will be on, joining us for Jamie Seven, which is the last Jamie chapter in A Feast for Crows before we shimmy on over to A Dance with Dragons. So that's going to be something, and then we're done with Janie.
1: Hmm. You know, until Winds Winter comes out.
0: Absolutely. And Eventually.
1: George put out an update.
0: He did. You guys read it. We don't have to tell you. We don't, we don't have to tell you It was you
1: a non-update. It was a non-update update.
0: When there's something important, we'll talk about it. I digress. So we're excited to have Kristen on next week. And absolutely after that, we will close out a Dance of Dragons and you will hear our big announcement of who the next pov is and let me tell you it will be a fast one blink and you'll miss it but uh i think it'll be interesting
1: yes we have dropped a few hints and the patrons know who the next pov is but before that let's talk about the next povs the, the the povs actually not next that come before this pov chapter let's jump into our lightning round
0: yes everything we missed between jamie 5 and jamie 6 cat of the canals Arya becomes no one, trading her secrets and sight for the many-faced
1: god. Samwell 4, aboard the Cinnamon Wind, Sam and Gilly celebrate Maester Amund in the Summer Island fashion. It sucks. Oh
0: my god. Mm.
2: Cersei 8, Cersei's grasp on King's Landing, is ever slipping in the face of a Dragonstone victory. And she attempts to solidify it with further plotting and scheming. Surely nothing could go wrong. (laughs) Ha ha. Brienne
0: 7. Brienne remains a true knight in the face of turmoil, and biter, at the end of the crossroads. No chance, no choice.
1: No chance, no choice. And that brings us to Jamie 6. Jamie's attempts at peace are made a mockery throughout the chapter, with his childhood boar hero, and in his war council alone! Concerned with being a lion of a different coat, by the end of the chapter, Jamie shows Ednard Tully that he still has claws. You
0: like that? I wrote it for you. And that puts us into Jamie 6 in A Feast for Crows. Brendan Tully's cloak is fashioned with a jet and gold blackfish and is dressed in steel and ringmail waiting darkly for Jamie at the drawbridge on a chestnut courser. His face is windburnt, his hair gray, but Jamie can see the night that he once knew beneath it all. Jamie, of course, considered his dress for this meeting for a while, alternating between his gold armor and white armor, but in the end, he chose a leather jacket and a crimson cloak.
1: I just want to say, usually most people when they're making a fashion statement only pick one of these, sometimes less is more, and both a cloak and a leather jacket don't make you more badass.
0: He needs all the badassness he can get here, honestly. I think he's really uh, trying to be brave, and I think there is something to say that he did choose the crimson cloak in the end, right? Because we've discussed at full that Jamie really wanted to make a decision between wearing the Lannister gold several times or the red and gold versus his Kingsguard white. And when he killed Ares, it was a big debate on if he chose to wear his gold armor or his white armor, right? Um, he chose the gold. He didn't taint the white armor. And here, going to see Brynden Tully, he is not tainting his white armor or gold armor. He does not want the Kingsguard attached to this act.
1: Yeah, he's, he's very much trying to pick, and, and understandably so, he understands what this business is, and it isn't quite Kingsguard business in his eyes. And in many ways, it's kind of personal, right? He's picking this Lannister crimson, right? But he's also picking a leather jacket. Actually, we don't know what color his leather is. Leather can come in a co- couple of different colors. So I will call out that we got a message on Patreon from our friend Kyle, who says, Hey! I just recently started listening to your podcast after binging Nauticast and loving your features on there. I'm looking forward to hearing all of the additional Patreon content, but I do have one burning suggestion, though, that I needed to get off my chest. I enjoy the fashion hour segments, as we are having here. However, I believe a more fitting name would be Tokar Talk, (laughs) also a great name for a Fire Daenerys mixtape. That or some variation of the name. Anyways, keep up the good work. So I, I just wanted to call that out now that we're having a fashion hour, if we should be calling it Tokar Talk or not. It's a big it's a big debate. We're going to have to take it to our board. And by that, I mean our board is also made up of our interns, Allie and Jake the Cat.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think the cats will have something to say about this. I feel like we can't do Tokar Talk until we get to Danny, which I don't know. It could be tomorrow. It could be years from now. You just don't know. Damn. <laughs> I'm not giving anyone anything. They'll never know what we're doing, Danny. Uh <sighs> nah, no, Tokar talk. I do like that. That's uh, got the, the alliteration. It's good. So, back in the story in Jamie 6, Brynden Tully greets Jamie by Kingslayer, which is not a great start, right? Uh, Jamie is going to stay calm. He thanks Brynden for coming, very polite. And the Blackfish responds asking if Jamie is here to fulfill his oath and return his nieces, Sansa and Arya. But, he doesn't see the girls, he says.
1: Yeah, you know, I will say that Jamie just responding with Blackfish, which is, you know, of course, Brendan Tully's nickname. It was kind of a smooth move, all things considered.
0: It's all he has. Courtesy? Courtesy of a nickname. I mean, words. Uh, what does Tyrion say about words? Someone remind me. Are they wind? Let them armor you, you know, let them be your oh, armor. Oh, that one. Yeah, that oh, that's one. That's true. That's true.
1: <laughs> There, I mean, there's a lot of quotes about words in the story.
0: Yeah, here he's not letting it affect him, right? Kingslayer, he's like, you know, could be worse. Could have been worse. He could have said worse things to open this off. I'm just going to go with Kingslayer. Good
2: enough. Imagine what a kind of modern slang he might have used against him. So, yeah, you know what? Uh, Kingslayer is uh, better than he might have been called on on the streets of any town USA or any town wherever at this point, so... Yeah, Kingslayer's just fine.
1: It's true, he could've opened with Sisterfucker and <laughs> <Yeah. 'Cause, laughs> Jamie admits you know. he doesn't have them. He doesn't have the Stark girls, and Brynden asks if he'd like to come back to his old cell <laughs> and run, then. Jamie, though, prefers his comfy pavilion, which Brynden comments that Catelyn, you know, also gets to enjoy the comfort of her grave. It's not true. Jamie thinks of blabbering All of it. He didn't have a hand in Kat's death, the girls were already gone by the time he landed in King's Landing, and he sent Brienne with his sword, and then we have this quote here of, But the Blackfish was looking at him the way that Eddard Stark had looked at him when he'd found him on the Iron Throne, with the Mad King's blood upon his blade.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of guilt, right, that he's feeling right now because he knows that he swore a vow that he has not completed. And not even just this vow, like we're talking Kingsguard vows that he still hasn't held, right? And I'm not trying to be a dick to Jamie, but I don't know what he expected Roose Bolton to do, right? Like, did did he think that Roose Bolton was going to throw a pony party for Robb Stark? Like, he literally, the whole chapter, he's sitting there with Brienne between Jamie 5 and Jamie 6 in Storm of Sword, and he's realizing, ah, oh, it's a game me and Bruce Bolton are playing for my safety, and yes, he was arguing for his safety, he was basically uh negotiating for his safety, and trying to negotiate for Brienne's with Roose, but there's a couple thoughts, like, in a way it's similar to that debate of, did Stannis know he was killing Renly, because did Jamie know he was killing rob stark by saying you know oh let let him know that i send my regards i mean he spends his dinner with roose outlining roose is playing a game brienne doesn't understand this game i want to play this game and he ends the game by saying give rob my regards i just don't know what he thought was gonna happen you know like obviously something bad was gonna happen to rob stark that's
2: all nothing good i mean listen nothing good indeed but at the end of the day i mean like Jeez, uh It's still it's still one of those moves where you want to be able to trust your bannerman, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't understand how Rob didn't see kind of what was going on because didn't Roos kind of screw him over prior to that anyway like at Heron Hall? Yeah.
1: It was like very passive aggressive. It was like a oops
2: tee hee. <laughs> I mean, I get it. Rob is trying to inspire loyalty, so you can't... I mean, like, he already had the issue with the car stocks. Mm -hmm. So it was like, all right, got the car stock thing going on. I can't go executing every general who who screws up somehow. So I think that's part of the reason why he let the slip-up, quote-unquote, with Bruce Bolton go on, because it's like, all right, well i can't can't hit everybody for treason yeah or you know or stupidity so uh, yeah i guess uh Bruce bolton's uh, gonna get a pass on this one but unfortunately
1: it's like you said you know you want to be able to trust your vassals like the whole feudal contract is very much built on that so it's not surprising that he'd be like what Rhys? my Rhys?" but it's too I, bad I only know, us right?
0: three knew that Rhys was creepy Hmm. Yeah.
1: she's like that band's weird I don't trust that band at all understandably so Arya Stark but I don't know I mean like yeah it, it's weird with the situation with Jamie. like obviously like he knew there was something brewing there in betrayal I'm sure no one really thought that like a big taboo like guest right was gonna be broken like that was I mean that was out there right like only Tyrion ha- kind of knew the plan as and mostly he only knew after the fact but of course, Jamie's presence there, he knew a bit and he helped facilitate that partnership and therefore the downfall. And I, it comes back to like something that you said earlier, Don Billy, right? During the emails and tweets and note, where you're like, yeah, Jamie wasn't necessarily part of it, but he probably would have been, right? If he had known more and back then, like he might have been like, yeah, this is what I have to do for my family. So,
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, pretty much you got to think about it, right? With the way that this whole thing is going on, he's sitting up there thinking to himself, okay, well, look, I don't have the luxury of going out and trying to battle everybody whenever I can, right? So I've got to make short work of this. Oh, Dad, you have a plan? Oh, you? Oh, wait, if you're going to win the war in one night, really? Bruce Bolton is there side. End of phrase. Wait, Walter Frey, is that a friend uh, offended over this? Okay, fine. Let it let go down. Let it go down. So, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, uh, as hostile as the Blackfish is to him, he can't really expect anything else because at the end of the day, yeah, Jamie would have been down with that plot. He, he really would have.
0: Yeah. Maybe not Jamie right the second, as we know, but Jamie then definitely would have said yes, especially if it got him out of trouble. Yeah,
1: that's what he was trying to play out there. And, I, you know, there's a part of it that, that's kind of present in all of this, and I think that's what's so interesting about some of the language here, right? Like, Because Jamie thinks to himself that the Blackfish is looking at him the way Edward Stark had looked at him when he found him on the Iron Throne with the Mad King's blood upon his blade. But, you know, that, sure, that's pretty damning. But I find that really striking that he sees that on the Blackfish's face and it, that it reminds him of Ned. And I just... The more we go through this reread, the more that I see that this relationship that Jamie has with Ned is just so deep. And it's it, it's more complex than just fear, right? There's a lot of other emotions that are wrapped into it, such as judgment. It, it's, it's really complex. Jamie associates it with, like, also both the feeling of guilt. And of innocence at the same time, of his own innocence, but also guilt because he's very sure that he's done nothing wrong in some ways, but he's or that he's like tried very hard to do good. Strive for it, but on the other hand, externally and in many ways, he also knows, right, that he's failed. Like, of course, killing Ares was in many ways the right call, but as we see there's a lot of guilt wrapped up with those hoofs, those hoof steps as we hear in the dream that he has back then with Rhaegar as he thinks of, like, Rhaegar's kids and and Elia Martell, right? And of course, the odes that everyone else knows him for, which is why he's called Kingslayer and no one gives a shit that, like, his actions led to the deaths of them, whatever. Um, And then here you have, like, that he didn't have the two struck girls, and so it looks again like he's failed. And, yes, he kind of has, but in a way, he's also kind of trying, right? We, he has someone out there doing this work. He's he's kind of working on it. He's got someone on it, and but Jamie's just internalized so much of Ned Stark as this like idea of both honor, but also this manifestation of his own like conscience, and then at the same time, in a way, like this manifestation of his own pride. Yeah, and it, I I feel like it, it's something that could be like I think probably written about but <laughs> it's really interesting the the relationship that jamie has but he projects onto ned it's definitely affected him
2: very heavily
1: yeah so that stood out to me
2: when it comes to the situation with him and Ned, i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's like well ned rebelled against the kingdom him and robert baratheon like he's looking at them almost as if they are war criminals to a certain extent and then on top of that and had a bastard. He, he had a fucking bastard. How dare oh, he how judge was, me? You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you, because for him, like that's like one of the lowest things you can do is you you had a bastard. Yeah. I'm like,
0: okay. Because, I mean, that's what he's been made to believe, right? That his bastards are fucking, for him, it's nothing. They're worth nothing, even though they're kings. They're just false, you know? It's just false yeah, exactly. nothingness. He gets nothing out of it. It's sad
1: comes back to that lie that Jamie says for, by what right does the wolf judge the lion? Yeah, so.
0: by what right? Well, Jamie poises himself to Brendan Tully, and he's like, all right, let's try. And he's like, I don't want people to die, which is why you should hand River Run over. And Tully's like, <laughs> uh, this must be where you threatened to hang Edmir, right? He's marked for death, so you may as well just do it. And Jamie's like in his head. He's like, "Fuck Ryman Frey. He has made such a mummer show of this. It has done the opposite of weakening the Blackfish." Jamie quips back and forth that he's here to relieve Lady Sybil Westerling and her children out of his care. And the Blackfish remarks, "Oh, just like Catelyn's daughters that you were supposed to return again, once more, guilting him." Jamie reminds him, "Trading an old woman and three children for a liege lord is a bargain." And they go on to discuss the vows that he made to Catalin and to Ares, though Jamie irritably reminds him Catalin's vows came with a sword to his throat and thinks she also trusted Tyrion, who also deceived her. So I don't know what you expect. He says Ares has no part of this. He asks if they will make the trade for the Westerlings for Edmir, but Brindon is like, no, Edmir's not worth much. I was entrusted by my king to keep Queen Jane from the fray noose. Jamie gives him his word that Jane has been pardoned, and of course, Brendan questions it as your word of honor, and asks if he knows what honor is. Jamie, of course, thinks one of the most iconic Feast Crows lines, that honor is a horse. It's a horse.
2: (laughs) A horse! Nay. Yeah, uh, very iconic. I mean, you know... I mean, and just think about it, right? Again, here we have the perception that the Lannisters are pretty much all the bad guys, and so even though Jamie's like, hey, look, no, no, I don't want people to die, let's just, you know, let's come to some kind of agreeable terms where everybody gets to walk away from this, save a little face, yeah, okay, you won't be a lord anymore after all of this, but... At least you won't have to die. You get to go <laughs> to the wall, but come on, it's the wall, All right? Now here is the thing: when Jamie brings up that Jon Snow is Lord Commander at the Wall, right? And Blackfish responds with, "Oh yeah, was that also Cersei's or Tywin's doing as well?" Yeah, he was like, "Yeah, Catelyn never, never trusted him." And he never trusted you either. So, yeah, you know, fuck that. I'm not going to the wall, basically.
0: Yeah, he even says, like, she was right about Theon. So, dot, dot, dot. Like, so Jon Snow, she never trusted him. I'm not doing that.
2: I don't trust that. He thinks it's a Lannister scheme. Absolutely. Right, but the thing about, like, and here's the thing that I'm wondering. Okay, Catelyn never liked Jon, basically, because that's not one of her kids. Right? Yeah. You know, that's uh, kind of, um, unfortunately, when it comes to John. Catelyn was the wicked stepmother. Yeah. But, I'm like, why, like, what would the Blackfish have against him? Like, would it, the Blackfish doesn't even know him. Like, you know, it was like, oh, Catelyn didn't, didn't trust him, and it was basically, he's, yeah, he's not my kid, and he's a bastard, so, you know, screw him, but. Like, what reason would the Blackfish not have to trust John? I'm like, what has he done? (laughs) So that was the thing that kind of struck me about this.
1: That's a great question. And I think that speaks to how deeply entrenched the Tullys are when it comes to, I think, those traditional values. When it comes to, like, the Faith of the Seven and Southern values, right? Like, Cat was so dutiful, right? They got that family duty honor thing going on. And I think it, it... granted then again the blackfish refused to marry so like he needs to shut the fuck up but at the (laughs) same time (laughs) at the same time i I wonder if it's like that or if he's just sort of idealizing cat's judgments after death but i I kind of wonder if it's just like that tully like being really weird and conservative when it comes to bastards because i mean like Haas or tully was like you know what if we just force an abortion on my child
0: I mean, I think that's a big part of it, right, is the family values. But also, look at she was right about Theon in a way. Obviously, we know the deeper story. Like, that's not all there was. Theon had a lot of conflicting things going on with his family. Obviously, doesn't excuse like murdering some kids. But yeah, like Theon had some issues to work out and it didn't go so smooth. But she was right. He shouldn't have sent Theon. She did kind of see that coming. And I think he's trusting her opinion with Jon Snow. And not just because of that, but because look at how it looks from the public eye. We all know it's not Jon's bastard. We don't have to talk about it. We know. It's basically canon that it's not. But Ned brought him home after war to this woman and just like brought him home. And for cat. that's like the ultimate disrespect to a woman, you know, a highborn lady that has already been forced to marry like the, the freaking consolation prize. No offense, Ned, but... That's what she was getting, right? She was like, I'm going to marry this dude. It's going to go great. He's kind of hot. I mean, sex might go okay. And then Brandon's like, I'm going to go die. You know, like, he's like, I'm just going down to die. So then she gets stuck with Ned. And I'm not saying Ned's uggo or anything. Like, I'm sure he's an okay dude. But he just wasn't really in the mood to marry either. You know, like, he just watched all his family die. So he puts his big lie off and never tells his wife about it. And she lets this resentment grow. And if you let resentment like that breed... For decades, you know, or a decade and a half. I mean, you're you're going to be a bitch about it. It's kind of natural. And I'm not saying that she's right for what she did. But, I mean, that's all Brendan knew, right? Like, he knew what Cap told him. Ned wasn't telling him things. People aren't telling the Blackfish things. He knows what Catelyn tells him. So, of course, he's going to think she's right. We know it's a way more complex
2: answer. True indeed. I mean, like, I, I understand. But at the same point, too. I mean, think about it, right? He had no rights to anything. It was already pre-established from when John came home. It's like, yeah, okay, he's a kid. He'll treat him nice, but at the end of the day, he's gonna grow up with with nothing. Yeah, and even thinking back to a Game of Thrones, literally as soon as Ned is like, okay hey, I'm going to be the hand, because, you know, Catelyn was like, oh, you have to do this. As soon as he says, okay, fine, I'll take the position, he's like, oh, yeah, and by the way, John can't stay here, he's got to go. <laughs> just like,
1: like, okay, what? What I don't get is how he's like, yeah, totally distrustworthy. I'm like, really? Interesting. When you see someone just rise as Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, I'm like, doesn't that just mean that they're very competent?
0: Yeah. Well, that's where I think what Don Willie was just saying about um, yeah. about how it could be he was thinking it's a Lannister plot, because I distrust everything Lannister too, and we know, like, right now, there are people on the way to the Wall because of Cersei, right? We get that plot in that's The true. Dance with Dragons that she's sending there to try to move them up in the Night's Watch hierarchy, which jokes on them, it's not really, like, famous celebrity lap of luxury, um, but, like, she's getting them moved up fast, and to displace John, and that's her goal, because she doesn't trust him either for batshit reasons. So you have, like, well, maybe not batshit, like, he'd, you know, he'd probably take revenge if he could, for his family, but so you he have-
1: definitely, He definitely executed the last, uh, <laughs> Lannister toady. Yeah. So. so you have, like, Brynden and Cersei both thinking,
2: like, oh,
0: that Jon Snow is a ploy against me. Uh, it's kind of funny.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah. but, you know, like, uh, it's just one of those things where, like, when it comes to Cersei- no, Cersei is doing it strictly out of out of vanity. For her, it's like, yeah, I, I you know, I got rid of all of the Starks that I wanted to get rid of, and even though Jon Snow is not technically a Stark, he's still around mm-hmm. and he's in command of an army. And she's thinking about all of the the what ifs. She's paranoid. No, like, no. D-. yeah, and it's like. Uh, did you not hear the whole thing about them trying to fight against <laughs> the wildlings and also, you know, possible ice zombies from the north? You really think he's, like, oh, yeah, why why not go march south with, you know, like, the, the smallest army possible? <laughs> like, just barely anybody to man the wall. But he's gonna go down and try to kill her in King's Landing. Yeah, sometimes yeah. it's hard knowing more than them. You know
0: what I mean? Like, being like, you stupid idiots.
2: I mean, but the thing about it is
1: she's
0: gotta be aware. I mean, she, she ignored it is her problem. She completely fucking ignored it in one ear out the other.
1: I mean, even Tyrion ignored it, right? Yeah. Like Alistair Thorne came down, he theoretically had a zombie hand, but you know, because Alistair Thorne was like a huge asshole at the wall, Tyrion was like, I'm not gonna look at that guy right now. I don't wanna see his face. Yeah. And and things went awry. Yeah. So and I think uh, you know, part of part of it here what we're getting is that there's that sense of irony because we know that, right, the Lannisters are actually trying to plot somehow for some reason that no one really knows or cares about, that John will have his downfall at the Wall thanks to a Lannister plot. So there's that sort of irony. But it's understandable that the Blackfish might think that John rising as Lord Commander of the Night's Watch would be a Lannister plot, considering that Jaime himself has also become Lord Commander of Mm. the King's Guard all of a sudden. Whereas Jaime... I mean, like, maybe he would have wanted it one day, but right now, he just kind of would, like, prefer to die with a sword in hand, run red with lion blood. Like, he's just like, oh my god, I cannot deal with, like, my childhood hero insulting me right now. (laughs) And reminds him, and reminds the Blackfish that, you know, even though, like, lion blood is something that you want on your sword, he's like, Tully blood runs just as red, and that if you don't yield, you know, Jamie's gonna have to storm Riverrun right now, and Brynden says that, you know, hundreds of my men will die, but thousands of yours, Jamie's.
0: Yeah, I love the passage we got here back and forth between them. It's really, this is the Courtney Penrose versus Stannis kind of scene, right, happening right here with Jamie. I was thinking about this, talking it over, Nauticast just did this chapter with uh, Courtney Penrose and Stannis a minute ago, so very similar. Uh, But he says, your garrison will perish to a man, and Brynden says, I know that song, Do you sing it to the tune of the Reigns of Castamere? My men would sooner die on their feet fighting than on their knees behind a headsman's axe. Jamie just thinks this is not going well. He then attempts to do this peacefully, right? He's like, all right, compose myself. The Blackfish mistrusts, though, because of Tywin and the breach of hospitality, even though he's dead. He says, may the father judge him justly. And then Jamie thinks, now there's an awful prospect, because that would turn hell upside down, judging Tywin justly, I'm sure. Mm. Jamie tells him he would have killed Rob if he had the chance in the Whispering Wood, but he's just as dead now, so does it really matter who killed him and his kingdom, too? And we, of course, get one of those very badass lines from the Blackfish. You must be blind as well as maimed, sir. Lift your eyes and you will see that the direwolf wolf still flies above our walls. And there's a couple things going on in this passage I wanted to highlight. First, it's very similar to Cersei in just a handful of chapters ago. The queen's eyes were green ice. You had best go, sir. Lancel, Osmond, Kettleblack, and Moonboy. Are you deaf as well as maimed? You'll find the door behind you, sir. I thought that was very similar, just the way the language was used. I thought it was really well used, George. So way to do similar language for Cersei and Jamie chapters. Uh, something else I've been thinking about is the way that Brynden is posturing himself in this chapter. He says, uh, well, earlier on, we know that he was given by King Rob's decree, a new title, the Warden of the Southern Marches. It was bestowed onto him. So that means he's the supreme commander of the Riverland forces, not Edmir Tully. So it kind of reminds me of Emin Frey, who we've seen a little bit lately, right? And Jenna, who says to Emon that Edmir is the Lord, not you, Emon. But even here, Edmir's not the Lord so much as the men in time of war respond to the Blackfish. And the Blackfish keeps reminding Jamie that he's loyal to the Northern regime, to the wolves, to the king in the North, whoever he may be someday.
2: Right now, there is no king in the North, but there's still like, you know what? Uh, what What is the uh, phrase? In for a penny, in for a golden <laughs> yeah. stag? You know, they're like, look, we've already decided to rebel against you. There's no way we're turning back now. Oh, yeah. So even if we don't technically have a king, we'd rather still fight this war in the name of someone who died than to ever bend the knee to you guys again.
1: It's kind of, like, obviously they had the last straw, right? Because it's kind of silly to be like, you know, the kingdom died just because of Rob, And part of it is because everyone's like, where are the other Starks? But they're trying to find him. But like, just because Joffrey or Robert died doesn't mean that entire dynasty died, even though technically it did, but they don't know that. They don't know that the children, not everyone does. I mean, Jamie does, obviously, but whatever. I, I think that the calling out of the warden thing is interesting and good, considering Jamie doesn't think about it much, but that was like a big deal in a Game of Thrones once more. Titles, so that titles gonna be awarded. So But right now all has fallen except for Riveron and the Lannister Frey Coalition is twenty times the numbers that Brynden's team does. Although not quite the same amount of provisions, but Jamie doesn't say as much. But the Blackfish knows that they burnt down the fields, disbelieving him. Jamie retorts that they can bring food from the twins. We have this quote here of If you say so, far be it for me to question the word of such an honorable knight. The scorn in his voice made Jamie bristle. It's a line from Brendan Blackfish, which of course, you know, Jamie's anger gets the better of him and he offers single combat. (laughs) Really, really bold choice there, Jamie. He's like, a champion each, and Brendan mocks him, asking who would fight, and he gives a bunch of, like, different good choices, and then leans in and is like, what about you, Jamie? What about you and me, Jamie? Let's dance. He doesn't say that, but that's what he means. Jamie explains the vow he swore to Catelyn Stark to never raise a hand against uh, any of her family. And the Blackfish calls it very convenient for a cripple. And Jamie asks him to free him of this vow then, and then he'll meet him sword to sword. <laughs> if Jamie wins, Riveron's his. If the Blackfish wins, the siege will end. These are big bets. High rollers here. The stakes um,
0: are high. Very high really are yeah the blackfish literally is thinking he's like i'd love to take your golden sword and cut your heart out like he straight up says this i'm like okay death wish but says he'd gain nothing from the pleasure of killing him and jamie's like if i had a sword i'd kill this motherfucker i would go down with this motherfucker he's like i don't care He then asks if there were any terms that the blackfish would accept. And the blackfish is like, nope, I came here for the lulls. Uh, I came here to see your stump, hear your excuses. And he says, they were feebler than I'd hoped. You always disappoint, Kingslayer. Ouch. Ouch. Big burn. Totally out. Big bird. Totally out. I don't know.
1: Wow. bird. Well, but not a bird. I don't know. Big fish.
2: Jamie turns on his head about and rides back to the Lannister Lives, the Tully men staring at him, the phrase as well. They obviously can tell he blew it. <laughs> he has to storm the castle. Well, what's one more broken vow to the Kingslayer? Just more shit in the bucket. Oh, Jamie.
1: That's sad. So dramatic.
2: Yeah, you know, it is what it is with him. <laughs> Jamie resolves to be the first man on the battlements although he thinks likely the first man to die by his hand. Jamie, frustrated in his inability to solve things with the sword like he always has, gets back to camp, and his squire pulls him down to his regrets. He thinks, Do they think I'm such a cripple I cannot dismount myself?
0: So, I would never... Admit that I relate to Jamie Lannister in any sort of way or that I like him. Legally, I would not say that I like him. And if you think that legally you can claim I like him, you're incorrect. And you will be hearing from my lawyers from the Learned Hands pod.
1: And I will be on the prosecution (laughs) with evidence of Chloe crying on the podcast about Jamie Lannister. That never happened.
0: That didn't even happen once. And I feel like you're just making things up. Uh, I have proof. (laughs) Okay, so I I have a handful. (laughs) Haha. Pun intentional of disabilities, specifically in my hands. And George does get this right because this is this whole line, this whole passage, it feels like this hot flame of anger and betrayal at like your own body for not doing things that everybody else can do and you cannot. And there's like no way to soothe that feeling other than to yell at yourself about it repeatedly and like condition yourself to not hate yourself. And it's not easy. I don't think I've even mastered it, but like, Jamie obviously has not mastered it. We know he is full of this toxic loathing of his self, right? And who he's become uh, and his acedia. And it's just really relatable. It's really a bummer and really relatable because here he's like, do they think I'm a, such a cripple? I can't dismount by myself. And it's not that he's angry at Peck. Or his squires, right? He's not angry at them. He's angry at himself, and he's angry at himself for failing with the blackfish. And for failing not just at getting him to peacefully surrender, but, like, failing because that's his childhood hero that he just had to go try to ask to surrender a castle. Like, that's not what you want to be with your childhood hero.
1: Yeah. It's a lot. There's a lot of things going on there. And... You know, thank you, thank you for sharing uh, your experiences and like how how that relates to Jamie Lannister, and what he's dealing with right now, and I mean, yeah, it's a lot of that, and a lot of his identity for a long time, right, has been tied to what he's able to yeah. do, especially martially. So now his pride is hurt, and I, I obviously pride is a big part of what's going on here.
2: Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, having to deal with disabilities is definitely not fun i mean listen i've i've had each one of my legs broken at different points uh-huh. sprained uh you know like what a separated shoulder and sprained wrist and all that other kind of stuff and yeah you know when you're going through it you know it it's it's never easy and especially when other people make light of it like oh yeah look look what you have are just like hey what the hell Like, if you were in this situation, you wouldn't think it's funny at all. And you should be lucky that you're not in this situation. So, like, yeah, I have sympathy for for Jamie when it comes to that kind of stuff, too. But there's still the other part of me that's like, with all the things that you have done, you know, how do you expect people to treat you? Yeah. You know, people just aren't going to feel sad for him because of the things that he has done with his time on Planetos.
0: He's not a very sympathetic character, right? Right now, he's just not. It's hard to feel bad for him right now when he's done some pretty terrible things and been complicit in crimes that he might not have actually, like, done, right? Like, he might not have slit Rob Stark's throat, but he definitely paved the way for it to be done. And he's learning when his actions mean those sort of things right like he's learning that when I say go ahead and do this to my banner men or to people that my father's working with or people that work with the Lannister name they might do it and he's kind of owning up for that now and understanding what these sins mean
2: yeah it's one of those things where you know he he's very aware that he has reaped the benefits of his family's past crimes against humanity I guess yeah, you know, so he he definitely knows that he has reaped the benefits from it, it's, you know. But he and he's been okay with it for for a very long time. Yeah, you know, so like, yeah, who's gonna feel sorry for the guy who you've done horrible things to people or your family has, and now because of the horrible things that your family has done, here you get to stand, you get to have your choice of what armor. You want to wear as you go and tell somebody, hey, either you do what I say or I'm going to have you and your entire family murdered. Yeah, not much of a choice, right? Like, he could have just quit his job. Yeah, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I think that's that's something that's part of this chapter, you know, uh, along with what you're saying of, like, the choice of what he could have done. But there's also a lot of, like, there's a lot of reputation it's following everyone there's the reputation of the blackfish that's here that jamie is very cognizant of and of course the reputation that follows jamie himself as a kingslayer and then the reputation of the lannister family that has been protecting him for a long time he's like do i want this protection anymore yeah
0: that crimson cloak a cloak of protection there you go
1: yeah should i just worn the leather jacket got on your bike your bike that's actually a horse named honor <laughs> Jamie. That's but Outlaw Country, baby. That's Dan's
0: winner. Oh my God. can't wait for Outlaw God. Country.
1: <laughs> I fucking hope so. I fucking well, hope
0: so. Davin Lannister is asking Jamie how it went with the blackfish, and Jamie's like, You fucking know how it went, Davin. Don't ask me how it went. <laughs> and he's like, I was talking to i out angry. there. He's like, I was useless. He asks him to assemble his war council with the whole group. They gather quickly. Lord Piper and Vance speak for the Repentant Trident Lords, who were about to be tested for their loyalty. Davin, Strongbore, Adam Marbrand, prester they all represent the West. Emin and Jenna joining them. Lady Jenna claims her stool with a look that dared any man there to question her presence. None did. Damn straight. I liked that. I'm glad that it was kept in that Jenna, you know, looks around like, question it. I dare you. Good for her. Um, From the phrase came Walder Rivers and Edwin, Ryman's firstborn, who comes in his stead because Ryman is indisposed. Jamie asks, is he drunk or just green sick from being drunk last night? And Edwin's like, must I suffer such discourtesy from you, Lord Jamie? Jamie says, well, is it true or not? And Edwin eyes Sir Illyn, who looms at the door to the tent. Edmund claims that Ryman has a bad belly and that wine helps him digest, and Davin says he must be digesting a bloody boar. Everyone cackles, Jamie says they need to plan the war, so they better stop laughing.
1: I just wanted to point out again that, you know, Davin is so much acting here like the Torment or the Grejon or something, kind of like that figure in Jamie's party. It's just interesting that he decided, you know, every single D&D party needs one of these sorts of characters, <laughs> so... Threw in, threw in one of those. Jamie's copying what he thinks his father would do. He lets the captain speak first. Emon Frey says they should hang Edmure to teach Brind and Tully that they mean what they say. Carol Vance says that Brind Tully's not easily moved. After all, his own brother, Hoster Tully, couldn't even get him into a marriage bed. Diamond says they need a full-on siege. Storm the walls, ladders, rams. Strong says he'll lead the assault. A lot of different ideas here. This is quite the brainstorm. Edmund pulls out his paper shield, complaining about them breaking his castle walls down again. Then Edmund snaps at him to wave his shield at the blackfish. See how that goes. Marbrin proposes they send a dozen... Picked men in a boat with muffled oars at night, scaling the wall with ropes and grapples and opening from within. I feel like we've seen this somewhere in this book series before. Walter Rivers and Edwin call it folly that the blackfish will make it difficult. So then Edwin proposes they give a fate and attack on the front gates, bringing Brindon to the battlements where they can attack him with the night soil tipped arrows, giving them Riveron, which Ed- Emin reminds them is his castle. My castle, Emin Frey, me, remember me, again, I'm not Emon Frey, I have no relation to him whatsoever. Um, Lord Carol, who looked melancholy in the beginning of the council, looks even darker, asking if Edwin will contribute the mortal poison of Nightshade, and Strongbore says the Blackfish deserves a noble death, which he plans to administer to him. I'm sorry, everyone, there were like a lot of names and it just felt right to keep going. <laughs> so. All good.
0: No, that's, uh, you know, the Lord Carol stuff really stands out. In this, on the war council, uh, these river lords that are repentant, that are loyal or were once loyal, now their loyalty is being tested, obviously. I felt like that was something just really significant and that, you know, the very first fucking thing said by a Frey here is, what if we betrayed him? <laughs> like that's the most fray bullshit in the world the phrase immediately we're like all right here's what we do we trick the motherfucker and we get him out on his battlements then we poison him and carol vance is like holy shit you people don't stop like this is just you 24 7
2: yeah and then they wonder why no one likes to phrase <laughs> yeah i wonder why why i can't figure it
0: out don willie
1: there are a few good phrase
0: fewer that's and it. fewer honestly fewer um, and
1: fewer one of them who's not good, who is here at this council right now, we'll we'll touch on again. Walder Rivers. Interesting. Very interesting. Intrigued. But right now, you know, the language here, there's, I don't know, there's a lot. It describes the Blackfish in a way that kind of reminds me of the way they talk about Barrison. They're like, oh, he's old. We can totally take him. And like, we know from some So Spake Martins that Barrison hadn't actually been conceived as a point of view character until, like, after the publishing of Feast, Mm -hmm. as sort of, like, an addition or solution to providing a perspective in Marine while Danny was, like, off in the desert and shit. Um, Literally in shit, now that I think about it. Um, But it does give you a sense to how people underestimate Barristan, considering how Brendan Tully, right, is also a very storied fighter, and how George likes to write these. And and I just, you know, I, I stand this archetype as well. I, too, love Uncle Iroh. (laughs) the secretly badass great fighter old man so you know i get it It, it's just something that i thought was interesting especially if beast and dance were one book once upon a time but obviously that's not the case any anymore yeah
0: that's actually a really great Paula. i do like that uh george obviously likes that wizened wizened sort of mentor role absolutely you know we get a better look at a couple names during this sir forley prester for example who is a hot to trot everyone's voting for him for pov for the intro the prologue to the winds of winter and i think that's probably probably the right guy but he tells them look none of this is going to accomplish anything and norbert vance the blind lord of atranta shout out to jack vance who is one of Martin's favorite authors, says he squired with Brynden when they were young and asks if he can speak with him to loosen him on the situation's hopelessness. But Lord Piper pipes up and says, "Brynden knows this is hopeless and he isn't stupid. He has too much sense to yield to the likes of these people. Edwin, of course, thinks those are fighting words. And he's like, if my Lord of Piper means to imply, but Lord Piper cuts him off and says, I don't imply, I say what I mean. You know, like an honest man. We get this passage. But what would you know of the ways of honest men? You're a treacherous, lying weasel like all your kin. I'd sooner drink a pint of piss than take the word of any fray. Damn straight. He leaned across the table. Where's Mark? Answer me that. What have you done with my son? He was a guest at your bloody wedding. They go on to argue, and Jamie thinks his father's war councils were never this much of a show. Hmm... Doesn't
2: look good. Definitely not, you know, and it's almost kind of, you know, what did you really expect? These people were not only your enemies, they were each other's enemies (laughs) just a very short time ago. You know, and now you're asking them to go and betray uh, someone whose cause they were just fighting. Now, honestly, you know, yeah, the phrase were never really down the frames were only in it for whatever they could get out of the whole situation to begin with. Yeah. Right. But the other river Lords that were there, they were truly down for the cause. And so now it's like, okay, they, they gave up because they realized, all right, look, we did the best we could, but time got the better of the situation. The Lannisters are in control. All right, cool. What do you, what do you want us to do? And so now with this whole situation where the phrase are still holding captives, it's like, dude, how do you expect for people to to trust you and think that you're worth anything when you're holding captives that really you shouldn't have? And you're going to try to try to antagonize people by telling them like, yeah, we we got them and keep talking slick and we'll send them back in pieces. Yeah, like, yeah that that that's that's definitely a way to win friends.
1: <laughs> that's a great point. Like, I mean, this this whole coalition here right now—it's held together like fucking scotch tape. And, you know, as you said, like some of their loyalties only secured by hostages, which of course is like a big part of what's going on in this chapter. But of course, everyone like doesn't trust each other within this camp
0: yeah and it's funny because it's not the only place having a shit show of a war council it's just that jamie actually recognizes it's a shit show right like he right now is like wow this freaking sucks however someone else that's having a shit show of a war council right now is cersei and she refuses to acknowledge it as a shit show right she has nothing but licks, fiddles and just like awful people on her council Orain Waters comes back with news of Dragonstone being hers. And he's like, you lost thousands of men, your grace, because of Loras. And he's barely alive. And instead of listening to even more details, she's like, this is so great. This is the best thing ever. I have to tweet about this right now. Right. Like she pulls out the phone and she's on the timeline about it. And Orain's like, I can tell you more. And she's like, that won't be necessary. Uh, Jamie is trying to do the exact opposite of Cersei in this manner. Cersei wants to burn things down, and she doesn't care if it takes out half her army to do so. Jaime is like, let's go least bloodshed, although he would obviously love to kill some of his own men right now. Cersei looks at the news of Loras as great. She thinks of it as her enemies dying conveniently, that she's Lord Tywin's heir through and through. But the Tyrells are honestly like the closest thing to good that she could be like using right now, right? Like their protection, she kind of needs it, whether she wants to admit it or not. She thinks in that chapter, if Lord Tywin could see me now, he'd know he had his heir, an heir worthy of the rock, she thought. She holds counsel with her Lickspittle lords, and she too has a singer involved in her plot, Blue Watt, in that next chapter. And what we're about to see with Blackfish and Edmere and Tom of Seven Strings shows us Jamie's much closer to being Tywin's heir here than Cersei in mannerism. He's determined to show Jenna he is actually Tywin's son. And Using language that seems very Tywin, although we know he doesn't want to do the follow through, is what's happening here. And absolutely at the end of this plan, of course, it's ruined, just like Cersei's because they chose the wrong singer, right? He chooses Thomas Sevens, she chooses Blue Watt, and we know that those two do not work for their plots.
1: But how is anyone supposed to know? Like, who was on fucking Pitchfork telling them all of this stuff. You Admir.
0: Know? I mean not Jamie, but <laughs> Admir's vocal about yeah. it.
1: Jamie's not like listening to indie music you know? <laughs> He's not going to like house shows.
0: The Black but... Fire Festival.
1: Oh my god. Black oh god, I just thought that just I think that it. should be
2: our get theme it. for Ice and Firecon. Firefan. <laughs> my god. Hey, listen, it's my favorite yeah. house, I'll, I'll, I'll be down for it. Hell yeah!
0: You know what, they're growing on me, dude, they are growing <laughs> on me, I can't even lie about it, like, bit by bit I'm like, interesting, I like the Blackfires.
1: Yeah, I, I was thinking earlier, sorry, I only remember this now, that, you know, in the context of Bridget Tully and him being like, yeah, I don't trust that boy, he did fight in the war of the nine penny." That game, makes sense, so. yeah, bastards, I get it. He might be like, hmm, that was a lot of trouble for me, individually. <laughs> But it, was. <laughs> it was. It was. It was a big deal. Led to a lot of things. I think that uh, if Tywin could see Cersei or Jamie now, he'd be like, oh my fucking, fucking god. Idiots. You pretty. Y'all are pretty. Not smart, though. I don't Jaime's doing okay. But Piper and Edmund, though, they are still at each other's throats. And Walder River stands and says he will fight Piper outside right <laughs> now if he wants to continue this. Walter Rivers, very interesting. What's more, I stand. Um, he's not a good person, but he's interesting. Jamie reminds them it's a war council, not a war, and that everyone needs to sit down. Piper mutters and leaves the tent. And Davin asks if he should send men after him. Edwin says they should send Sir oh Illyn. Carol defends him, saying that Piper speaks in grief for his firstborn son and his knights, nephews, and cousins. Also, it's, like, just a stupid choice. Like, you're gonna send the guy who can't, uh-huh. like... Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not smart. Yes, he's scary. But anyways, Edmund calls them traitors and rebels. And Jamie reminds him that, you know what, Edmund, all of you and your kin are technically traitors and rebels as well. And worse, um, as you joined and also betrayed the young wolf. So, I don't know. In a way, like what I find interesting about this exchange is I feel that Jamie is dishing out what he got earlier. Today, from Brendan Tully, you know, Jamie is trying to escape that reputation, right, of Kingslayer and being someone who, like, betrays people and shit, and the question on his honor is because, you know, he came back here, he's like, yeah, so the Stark girls, I don't have them right now, and it's really buttressed well because this uh, chapter... Comes right after the Brienne chapter where she's continuing to still try and find those Stark girls and also even runs into Gendry. She's getting a little bit closer, but also she's not as close as she wants to be. But then here you're seeing Jaime deliver the very same accusations against the phrase, right? Like bringing up their own reputation for dishonor and betrayal, which, you know, quite frankly, it was really, really bad. (laughs) They deserve it it was very recent as well it wasn't like a a, something like a 16 year old did it was a thing like wow you guys you really did this you broke this huge cultural taboo it's
0: not even that it's like it's almost like he's coming home from work and being like why are my kids so fucking idiotic right like if you guys hadn't done this one thing we wouldn't be in this fucking shit show right now you know like that's how he feels he's taking out that anger like you said against them but like If they hadn't murdered Robb Stark
2: at a wedding after he had already eaten bread and salt, they wouldn't be in this bullshit. The phrase for generations, generations have been trying to find some way to be in the big leagues, I guess you could say, right? Yeah. And so for them, it's like, Walder is the culmination of that mentality. So for him, it's like, hey, you know what? No, this is just how you this is just how you rise up. And as much as I hate to quote the show yeah. <laughs> there is one thing that, that was said by Bronn that is very poignant. And like that is when he when he rolls up on Jamie and Tyrion inside of Winterfell or uh, or Molestown or wherever that was supposed to be, where they were <laughs> drinking, and he just kind of pops up on it. He's like, hey, you know, who do you think your ancestors were? You know, your ancestors weren't just noblemen. No, they were, they were cutthroats. They they killed people to get, you know, the, to get their name out there and uh, to build up their house. And like, yeah, you, you're reaping the benefits from it now. But thousands of years ago, your ancestors were cutthroats. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, hey, the phrase just kept that mentality. You know, even though they're, they're yeah. a, a noble house, they're like, yeah, but we're still not at the top of the food chain. Yeah, they're not, no big, they're not to... big time. Yeah, so the only way for them to get there is like, all right, we can't marry into the top of the food chain. I want to be there before this is all over, so... uh no, to hell with it! I'm gonna get it any any way I can. You, oh, you're telling me I can, I can kill somebody and and move up. Fine, let's do that. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. They they're trying to forge their own path, and I mean, they don't try to. In most ways, they don't try to pretend to be anything that they aren't. When it comes to the part where they committed this huge cultural taboo of breaking gas, <laughs> right. So it's kind of hard to hide.
0: Jamie, like me, decides that the Freys are enough garbage for the day. And he tells them, listen, we're attacking at first light. Get ready. Get prepared. See you then. He watches Edmure Tully from his gallows across the water and eyes the Frey camps when Emin Frey comes once more to plead his case for his castle, saying, I forbid you from damaging it. And Tommen Baratheon, the king, signed this piece of paper to say so. And I love this because this has to annoy Jamie. I bet Jamie's like, I know who that little fucker is. I squirted him out. You do not have to tell me who he is. Like, I know who King Tom and Baratheon is. Okay.
1: Who's? Exactly. Never heard of it. <laughs> again, like, here's how Emin, I think, especially differs from either Tywin or Roose. Because, again, he, he has this inability to separate the building from the actual power. And to sacrifice the bricks for the respect or fear or power that actually holding the title of Lord of Riverrun would confer him. Because I don't respect Tywin or Roose, but I do think that Tywin would have just taken it and then been like, whatever, we'll fucking rebuild it later. And I mean, Ramsey, we, we, we get proof of this because Ramsey did as much at the behest of Roose Bolton. He was like, you know what, whatever. We're going to just burn Winterfell, you know? And now Winterfell is still in shambles by book five. So, and it, it got the Boltons, the Norths. It worked for, you know, for now. For now, it's, it's not a permanent solution, but they don't know that, but not we long-term. do. <laughs> you know, we. I mean, we, we know this because we have, you know, the show that the books are based <laughs> off of.
2: <laughs> Supposedly.
1: is about to quit the podcast. He's about to quit casting. We had a good oh, run. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Jenna reminds Emin that he's not the lord, though, as long as Edmure exists, and asks Jamie, what, what do you mean to do about it?
0: Jamie thinks the blackfish is the real danger, not Edmure, rightfully so. He tells them to leave Edmure to him, requesting Lyle and Illin accompany him to the gallows. They wait for the ferry, the phrase had already taken it across, and when they finally cross, a drunken camp follower propositions Strongbore. Strongbore offers his friend, Sir Illin instead to be pleasured, and when she goes to kiss him, she sees his eyes and shrinks away.
1: Okay, sorry, sorry. Hold on, hold on. I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm now a surprisingly strange Ilyn Payne stan as well. Oh my god. And I just feel bad. Like, what happened to Ilan Payne that he's just so scary in his eyes? And I mean... Ilyn Payne has no friends.
0: Yeah, he had his tongue ripped out.
1: And he can't communicate with anyone. He can't read or write even. And then he had a shitty room because he was depressed. Sorry, I just want to remind everyone. Oh my god, Eliana. And not not that this person not that this person owes Ilan Payne affection, they don't. But I'm just like, what happened to you? Well. Sorry. I just wanted to take this time to look at Ilan in the eyes.
0: Well, Eliana's favorite character is now Ilan Payne, so it's going good. Um So everywhere that Jamie looks out across the fork, he sees the blue on gray of the twins. And it must be obnoxious, first of all. But he also sees lesser houses. He sees the Heron of Arranford, the Pitchfork of High, pitchfork of High, and Charlton's Mistletoe Springs. Everyone stops to stare. A half-familiar knight gets to his knee. Two men at arms spray pee on each other to turn and look at the Kingslayer. Wow. Yeah, that's my favorite part. I highlighted it on purpose, because literally these two dudes, I guess, are peeing at the river and they cross streams. I thought that was interesting. Uh... <laughs> Don't cross the street. Someone calls Jamie's name, but he strides on. He sees many faces of men that he's tried to kill before in the whispering wood, and his hand feels very heavy at his side. He passes Ryman's huge rectangular pavilion with gray canvas walls and peaks that evoke the twins, and Ryman is far from being indisposed. He's being entertained, and Jamie hears drunken laughter of women and a singer's voice and a wood harp. He thinks he'll deal with them later. He passes Walder Rivers on the way to the gallows, and he thinks about how he's more dangerous than any of the other brothers. As he arrives at the gallows, spearmen attempt to stop him. Jamie taps his sword, asking if they'd like to question his deadly authority, and up he goes to the gallows. Edmure stares down, his feet black and caked with mud, legs bare, wearing a silken house-toley tunic and a noose of rope. He calls Jamie the Kingslayer and sees Sir Illyn. He calls out to him, telling him he'd rather it be a sword than a rope, telling him to do it.
1: Push the goddamn button. Um.
2: Jamie lets Sir Ilan pull his sword, saying, You heard the man? But as Ilan comes close, Edwin Frey comes into view, screaming, No! Saying, Jamie must. And Jamie interrupts requesting he be called my lord. Also, basically, he tells him, don't speak to me. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Don't
1: talk to me. I'm inky. I love that meme. I'm sorry.
2: So, Ryman Frey shows up with a blind camp follower whose breast is spilling out of her gown. And she wears a circlet of hammered bronze engraved with rooms and small black swords. Okay,
0: first of all, how fucking dare you? How dare you fucking manhandle that crown that is a relic that is a goddamn relic that is the fucking crown of winter okay so that's first of all (laughs) that's just my first thought
1: second of all how How dare dare Dare. how dare okay
0: second of all i didn't think about it but edwin Frey runs up and he's like you must or you mustn't lord jamie just like cersei in the last cersei chapter uh marjorie says to her that she must answer something fiercely and I thought that was a really good parallel. I just thought about that because I didn't think Edwin Frey coming into the frame being like, Jamie, you must. And when Marjorie says you must to Cersei, Cersei thinks I must. Like, how dare she presume this little bitch? But Jamie does stop. I mean, to be fair, Jamie stops to listen.
1: Yeah, it's like when I tell people, especially my partner, I'm like, don't tell me what to do. And then I let them tell me what to <laughs> do. But So it's actually a little different. Never mind. It's not the same at all.
0: Eliana, read the next part.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: I thought you were going to so say, next, don't tell me what to do. She
1: laughs. <laughs> oh. See, like I said, I'm weak. I'm <laughs> soft. Like ill and pain on the oh inside. Um, so this woman, she laughs, asking who the blind guy with the golden hand is. And he asks who she is, calling her a lady. She argues, saying, I'm the queen, not a lady. Jamie says, Cersei might have some qualms with that. But Lord Ryman apparently Crowder himself, the in quotes Queen of Whores. Jamie thinks no, Cersei holds that title too.
2: It's like wow, uh, you know, at this point, Ke Jamie is so so dejected that he's just like, yeah, look, you can't even have the title being Queen of Whores because my sister already has that title. He's so just kind of put off by his family at this point that he's just like, yeah, okay, whatever. Whatever you can think bad about yourself, no, there's something worse. Somebody in my family definitely fits the bill for being worse than you. (laughs) That's true.
1: His family also, it's like, it's so, it's such like bitter breakup language, you know the way that he's thinking of. Yeah, Cersei. he's finally in that
0: stage, right? It's like the first stage that he's finally admitting to himself, like "fuck Cersei," and he's just like mad. He's angry.
1: That's true. Earlier, he was in denial back then, until he met Lancel. Now he's yeah. In now Air. he's in
0: the Red Fork. Dabda. Not denial. Yeah.
1: Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Trident. <laughs> Ryman tells her to shut up. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, I'll shut up. And Jamie (laughs) Jamie eyes and thick-set, broad broad face, small eyes, fleshy chins, with breath of wine and onions. Interesting. Sometimes that's me. (laughs) Jamie inquires softly about his making of queens and calls it stupid, much like the business with Ednur. And Ryman defends his choices, saying that his son did the same at Seaguard, and it worked with Lord Jason and Patrick Starr. But the blackfish is a fish by a Different scales, and yes, you know if they hang Edmure, then we're gonna have no hostage. Have you thought about that, Jamie Lannister? Have you thought about that? And I'm gonna throw this crazy, crazy idea out there that I thought of as as we've been going through this chapter. It's the way that Jamie Lannister is feeling about the the incompetence of Ryman Frey and his dalliances with. I don't know, this woman calling herself, this camp follower, uh, the way that Tywin Lannister felt about Tytos and oh. Titus's mistress.
0: Yeah, I could see a little of that coming into play here. I didn't think about it that way, but that pride being hurt and also that feeling, it seems like that it keeps feeling like, you know, we're fucking better than this. I thought we were better than this, which he's learning this entire time is a lie. They're not better than this.
1: Yeah, And I mean, I think uh, I don't respect Tywin once more, but I I, you know, you can sort of get a glimpse of the frustrations that he might have had, especially considering that he had to deal with this, I guess, on a daily basis, and when it's his own parents. Yeah. Jamie says only a fool makes threats that he can't carry out and threatens to hit him unless he shut his mouth. Ryman, of course, tries to speak and Jamie backhands <laughs> him, sending him stumbling backwards into the blonde girl's arms. Don Billy's nodding right now at this scene. I want to point that out to everyone. Don Willie nods a lot, but it felt notable, noteworthy to me.
0: That's like better than the Stannis nod, right? The Stannis nodding at John. That's the Don Willie nod of respect.
1: <laughs> He's like, yes, Jamie, backhand run. It's Jamie's like,
0: doing a lot of backhanding these days.
2: Listen, and yeah. with the golden hand on top of it, too. You
1: know? Oh, that's true. I didn't even I mean, think about that. That would, that would hurt much more.
2: Yeah, I mean, listen, you just got to love the fact that Jamie was willing to call call uh, Ryan Frey on his bullshit. It's like, yeah, look, you've been sitting here trying to fake out the blackfish for so long that he knows you're not serious. He knows you want the castle, but you're not willing to do the thing that you say that you're going to do in order to get it. So that's why he's sitting there talking all kinds of shit about, yeah, kill him, kill him, kill him, because he, he knows you're not going to do anything. Like yeah. if I tell you, that if you don't shut your mouth, I'm gonna slap the shit out of you. Guess what happens if you open your mouth? <laughs> you get slapped. No, by Golden Hand the Just. You know exactly. <laughs> uh,
0: so Ryman defends his choices, right? And uh, after being backhanded, he is very quiet. He sinks to his knees. Jamie starts playing the game where he asks Ilan how many cuts it would take to slice Ryman's neck. Ilan lays one finger on his nose. He's like, try me. Uh, and Ryman, of course, starts sobbing, declaring he's done nothing. He's the heir of the crossing. And Jamie finishes that with, yes, you've done nothing but drink and whore. I know. But Jamie warned him about talking back to him. And he looks at the craven and thinks Lord Walder had best outlive this one or the phrase are done. Hmm darn because he doesn't. He dismisses him from his sight anywhere but not camp. He says take your queen but not her crown. He turns to Edwin giving him his father's command and saying he hopes he won't be quite as stupid as his father. I know we don't actually hear about Jamie getting the crown from him after this which is something really interesting because that is the crown of winter and we do know that it makes its way into Lady Stoneheart's hands. We have that from the Merit Frey chapter, right, that she has the crown. So in a way, it feels like an empty threat, much like the later catapulting of Edmure's baby threat, but how does that move into Lady Stoneheart and Feast? Ryman gets sent back to the twins after this with three knights and 12 men at arms. They are hanged at Fairmarket between Jamie 6 and 7. Jamie learns this next chapter at River Run when Edwin accuses him of having his father's blood on his hands. And of course, in Brienne 8 we see the crown, where Brienne sees a trestle table had been set up across the cave and a cleft in the rock. Behind it sat a woman all in gray, cloaked and hooded. In her hand was a crown, a bronze circlet ringed by iron swords. The other way the crowd could have made it there is if Jamie did take the crown from Ryman, because Tom of Seven Strings, as we know, does not hide who he is, and we the reader already know who he is because of Arya chapters. He introduces himself to Jamie with no lies about who he is in Chapter 7, saying he's Tom of Seven's dreams. And he is told to sing sweetly. And Jamie's really not alone here, right? Like, he has Wrath the Sweetling in his company. Just some food for thought that Jamie is surrounded by some of these characters that we know are about to coincide with the Stoneheart plot. So... That crown could have gotten there
2: one way or another. Yeah, it was a very kind of auspicious thing that Jamie was sitting there looking at the crown upon someone said who definitely should not have had it in the first place. And now it is back kind of where it belongs to a certain extent. And I wonder what he's going to think if he actually sees that crown again. Like, is is he going to wonder about, was it taken from the Queen of Horrors by Lady Stoneheart? Is she still alive? Or is this just a thing of, hey, someone took the crown from her at some point and and gave it back to Catelyn?
0: Because,
2: like, what what was he going to do with it? Was he going to try to get it back to
0: her? Or is this a failure just like Sansa and Arya? Right. You know, obviously,
2: look, it's a crown. It's a crown, that's a very symbolic thing, and when you're only really trying to have one monarch of the Seven Kingdoms, do you really want any other crowns floating out there? So, if anything, I think he probably would have tried, like, if he could have, he probably would have taken the crown back to King's Landing as a trophy.
1: Yeah, and I think that makes sense, right, that he would take it back, but I, I have never thought of the context of, like, if Jamie encounters it again, then I think that's a good question, especially... You know, as he wrestles with, does it make sense for him to be a Kingsguard for this regime? Sure don't. And you know, is, is it worth worth it for him? Does he go? Not just that. Like, I don't think this is Jamie's storyline. But if I'm just playing around with ideas right now, if he encounters another crown, right, going from a Kingslayer to another Kingmaker, especially since we learned about Creston Cole through Jamie's storyline, but I haven't. I haven't really thought about like if he sees it again, then he probably will. Yeah. I mean he's already seen Lady Stoneheart again, so I um, you know. It, it it makes for a good dramatic effect at any any sort of trial. It kind of
0: is like a follow the hand and see where it goes, right? Like like a street game of which cup is the crown under? Because it probably will blow his mind. He'll be like, Wow, I was supposed to take that and then they were <sighs> hanged, and that's how she got it, probably. Oh shit. Or it could just be people are spying on him, like both are not going to make him feel great. So Jamie commands that word be sent to Walder Frey to bring the prisoners that he has for the crown and that Edmir must be brought down, which currently Edmure is face planted into a scaffold from the rope being sliced. Strong Boar takes the fish on a Got leash, it. the bit of noose still around his neck, and Jamie commands the man holding the wood to follow them as well. Edmir grasps Jamie's arm as they leave and asks the question of why. In his head, Jamie is thinking, a Lannister pays his debts, and you are all the coin left to save. But he tells him it's a wedding gift. He goes on to say, I heard your bride was pretty. She must be, because you banged her while your family and your king were slaughtered. Edmure's like, I didn't know there were fiddlers outside the chambers, and, and Rosalind wept. But but I thought, and Jamie quips, is it because of your manhood? Lol, which we know there's a song written about. Edmure says she's carrying his child, and Jamie thinks, no, she's carrying your death, dude. When they reach the pavilion, he dismisses ill Payne pain and strong bore, but he does not dismiss the singer. He has Lou heat bathwater for his guest, asks Pia to grab new clothing for him, less lion-like if she can. Peck finds wine, Jamie asks if Edmure is hungry.
1: Yeah, so again, a lot of this scene as Jamie finally returns to Riverrun and encounters some Tullys again has that specter, what's more of Catelyn, hanging, mm-hmm. as Scott earlier joked, um, hanging over it from Jamie's oaths. But you know, for this very scene, it I think in many ways it's like a revisiting or just like a reimagining of Jamie's own imprisonment last time when. a Tully, that time, was interrogating him, and the roles were quite a bit reversed. But this time, it's actually Edmure who's longing to return to his lover, who is, in fact, his unrelated wife and not his sister, unlike Jamie at the time. And now it's Jamie who's hoping to exchange Edmure in return for Riveron, whereas last time it was Jamie in return for the Stark Girls. And he's putting his trust, right, in Edmure's love uh, for his hopefully new family, his alleged baby that's growing, as Jamie. You know, realized, you know, he has other hostages and other hands to play, unlike Ryman, who's like, I've got one hostage, and it's Edgar Tully, and Jamie's like, no, you have other hostages that you can use on this hostage. But, you know, unlike how Catelyn was kind of just putting her trust in Jamie... You know, Jamie has some leverage here. And what's at stake, though, in both of these prisoner releases is quite the same, and it's something that's been carrying through throughout all of Jamie's arc since a Clash of Kings. It's Jamie's honor. We are not talking about the horse, but maybe we can be talking about the horse a little if people want us to. Yeah. So, suspicious, Edmir sinks into the bath where his filth clouds the water. That's uh, that's a lot. Jamie tells him that once he has eaten, he'll be escorted to Riverrun, and what happens next is up to him. The Blackfish has nothing left but Edmure. And Edmure's uncle serves him as the rightful lord, and Riverrun's fate is in his hands.
0: Yes, yield and no one dies. His small folk can serve Lord Emon or go in peace. Brindon can take the Black, many of the garrison as well. If the wall appeals to Edmure, he's welcome to it, or he can go with his wife to Casterly Rock as a high-ranking hostage with comforts fitting his lordship. If the child's a boy, he'll be a page and a squire to House Lannister. He'll get lands at knighthood. A daughter, they'll dower her well when she's old enough to wed, and Edmure might even be granted parole. All he has to do is yield.
1: So there's a couple of questions of inheritance right here going on that I, I, I just think it's well- placed in the context of Circe's chapter, which is so focused on, of course, Tommen's kingship and and where power derives from there. And then, of course, Brienne discussing heirs as Hyle Hunt is all like, I don't know, we could make heirs. And then Brienne's like, I don't know, my dad could make his own new heirs. And then, of course, running into Gendry, one of Robert Baratheon's children and prospective heirs. if in a way. And, you know, like, people are thinking this about Edgar's still unborn child, so, you know, it does stand to reason that some of Cersei's paranoia exists, right? Like, I, I, I can't imagine that people aren't thinking this about Cersei, especially because she, she does make the Tyrells' lives a bit difficult.
2: <laughs> a bit. Just a bit. Again, this whole thing with Jamie like, he's trying to play the good guy. You know, he's trying to appeal to uh, Edmir's humanity, I guess, you know, he's telling him like, look, you're the lord, I understand, you know, Blackfish is a legend and all that, but people are supposed to be listening to you. So I'm going to give you some things that might make it easier for you to yield the castle, alright? So, look, if you, if you have a boy, we'll raise him up, He'll he'll be a knight, he'll get some lands, maybe you'll even be paroled, after this whole thing is, is over, if you have a daughter, make sure that she's wed to a, to a nice nice suitor. Have a nice uh, dowry for her. You know, I mean, th- things will be cool. All you got to do is yield the castle. No one has to die. Blackfish goes and takes the black. If, if you don't want to be a hostage living in Castely rock in, in comfort that befits someone of your station... Fine, you can you can go to the wall too, but just just know that I am offering that you know, that you still get to live in the lap of luxury. Be a hostage, but hey, would you rather be in the frozen north? Yeah, you just gotta sell out all of your ideals and values and all the men
0: that died for us to get this far. MBD. But don't let it be said that Jamie Lannister wasn't kind and giving and gracious, okay?
2: <laughs> yeah, and so that's that's the thing about it. Like he's trying to to show like, hey look, this doesn't have to be ugly. Okay, it was ugly, but now what are we all fighting for? Okay, we don't need to fight. We can maybe not be friends, but we don't necessarily have to be enemies here. Yeah. That's the thing he's he's trying to impress upon Edmure. And obviously we'll see how that turns out a little later. But it's still the whole thing of, look, I'm trying here. You know, I'm, I'm giving you the olive branch. Don't say I didn't reach out and, and try to be gentle about all of this stuff. Whereas you know what my supposed reputation is or the reputation of the Lannisters. So don't say I didn't try.
0: Yeah. And that is what begs the next question, right? Because Edmure asks, okay, well, this all sounds very nice and gracious. So tell me the downside. What happens if I don't yield? And so everyone's listening, right? The The singer is listening. His squires are listening. Jamie thinks, let them hear. It makes no matter. And he forces himself to smile. And he basically says he's seen ladders, towers, trebuchets, and rams. At Jamie's command, Davin will bridge the moat and break the gate. Hundreds will die, most his own. His former bannermen will be the first wave of attackers. So they'll kill the fathers and brothers of the men who died for Edmure at the Twins. The second wave will be the phrase he has no lack of phrase, and then finally the Westerman will follow when all of Edmir's knights and archers have been exhausted, and when the castle falls, Jamie says, all inside will be put to the sword, the gods would felled, herds butchered, keeps, and towers burnt, and it's uh it's pretty dark, you know, like he says this is what's going to go down if you say no Edmir,
1: so something that I thought was interesting between this conversation with Edmir, but especially earlier on. You know, at one time, Jamie thinks, like, you know, this blood is going to be on your hands or something. Brendan Tully or whatever. I I don't remember the exact quote. It's in this chapter, but kind of forcing the blame on, you know, on the Tully's for what befalls them for not giving in. And it reminded me again of... The way that Theon thought of his taking of Winterfell and he's like, Damn, you know, y'all really forced me to do this. It wasn't my fault, all these horrible things that I'm going to do, or that I'm threatening, and if I have to carry them out, it is your fault for not giving in to my demands. Yeah. And It it, it kinda of reminds me of that and, and I just like can't divorce the idea that, you know, Theon and Jamie's storylines are in many ways supposed to be thematically thematically tied. Yes, agreed. I do agree.
0: Yes, and then we get the ending passage of the chapter.
2: Your wife may welp before that. You will want your child, I'll expect. I'll send him to you when he's born. With a trebuchet. Silence followed the speech. Edmir sat in his bath. Pierre clutched the clothes to her breast. The singer tightened the string on his harp. Little Lou hollowed out a loaf of stale bread to make a trencher, pretending he had not heard. With a trebuchet, Jamie thought. If his aunt had been there, would she still say Tyrion was Tywin's son? Edmure Tully fondly found his voice.
1: I could climb out of this tub and kill you where you stand, Kingslayer.
2: You could try. Jamie waited. When Edmir made no move to rise, he said, I'll leave you to enjoy your food. Singer, play for our guest whilst he eats. You know the song, I trust. The one about the rain? Aye, my lord, I know it. Edmir seemed to see the man for the first time.
1: No, not him. Get him away from me.
2: Why, it's just a song, said Jamie. He cannot have that bad of a voice. I mean, you had that intonation the why it's just a song, said Jamie. I
0: love that because that's such a such a harsh, dark. I mean, this is dark for Jamie to end on right now, right in uh, Jamie six. You know, a lot of people think that the very end of Feast and I do, too. I think it's a good turning point for Jamie. But just remembering that he put his big boy pants on here and he's like, all right, the threats are coming out and gloves are off because not only. Did he, you know, give it to Edmure straight and say, this is how it is. This is what's going to happen. You have two choices, death or life, man. But also he brought in Tom of Seven Streams and Tom and Edmure have history, as we all might recall, in even as early as a Game of Thrones Catelyn 5. We have the line from Catelyn, another singer had once betted a girl her brother fancied. He had hated the breed ever since. And then of course, later on, in Arya four in a storm of swords, we have this passage. Tom overheard him and broke off his song. You're a young fool, Archer. If we go to River Run, it'll only be to collect her ransom. Won't be no time for you to sit aside making bows. Be thankful if you get out with your hide. Lord Hoster was hanging outlaws before you were shaving, and that son of his, a man who hates music, can't be trusted, I always say. It's not music he hates, said Lem. "'It's you, fool.' "'Well, he has no cause. "'The wench was willing to make a man of him. "'Is it my fault he drank too much to do the deed?' "'Lem snorted through his broken nose. "'Was it you who made a song of it "'or some other bloody arse in love with his own voice?' "'I only sang it the once,' Tom complained. "'And who's to say the song was about him? Twas a song about a fish.' "'A floppy fish,' said Angai, laughing. "'So yes, this is the singer.' that wrote the song about Edmure's soft dick. thought that was pretty appropriate. Jamie really knew how to nail it in there, you
1: know? Yeah, Jamie did his research, again, on Pitchfork.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and the fact that you know, it was like, yeah, he knows not only about this song, but who sung it, and, like, he, the way that he brings him into the fold, is like, no, no, no. Okay, cool. I'm gonna go see Edmure Tully. I have a proposition for him. Oh, you, Mr. Time of Sevens, come along with me. I have a job for you, <laughs> maybe. You know, and and that's one of those things where... Now, I don't know if he knew about the floppy fish song. No, soul, yeah. But it's still the whole thing of, okay, you're going to go and play the Reigns of Castamere, which everyone knows what that means, right? But then it's like adding insult to injury because... Now, when Edmure, like, notices who it is that's playing that song, it's just double, double the pain because it's like, oh, yeah, not only do I have to hear the reigns of Castamere, I have to hear the reigns of Castamere from the guy who made the song Mocking Me when, you know, I couldn't get it up that one time. It's pretty insult to injury. <laughs> I could
1: get it up that one time. <laughs>
0: Remember when the one time he did get it up was his wedding when everyone was getting slaughtered, and he had no clue? <laughs> well, that's that's not exactly fair, though. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm just saying it's kind of sad for Edmure that, you know, the one time that he did get it correctly up was maybe a bummer
2: of a time. I mean, listen, unfortunately, yeah. Edmir is just the, the guy who is just going to get shit on. You know, yeah. Yeah. And bringing it back to that abomination that uh, appeared on our screen for uh, for years. Uh, unfortunately, the actor who played him he he plays those kind of characters a lot. Like he was Brutus yes. in Rome, yeah. You know, and even in Rome, he was the real pathetic dude. And then he comes in the that other show on, on HBO, and and now he plays he's playing Edmure Tully, and. It's like damn like reading about Edmure just like yeah the whole floppy fish thing and everything else that's happened with him <laughs> damn Edmure is just a guy with with a really hard life <laughs> yeah that's yeah. for sure <laughs> and it gets so easier
1: it was going like okay for him at the beginning and now it's just shit but he is he's a versatile actor that guy what is his name again uh, Tobias, something. Menzies. yeah, Tobias Menzies. yeah, because yeah, he's also in a. I haven't I haven't gotten past the first season so far, but he's also in um Outlander, versatile actor.
2: Uh, is um, is he getting punched in the face in that one, as well? I believe so. He does
1: get punched in the face quite a bit, but also he's a, you know, in some moments he's a hero who just goes down on women. So, <laughs> but in other moments he's a horrible person who is. It, it, it's complex, it's complex I'm not going to spoil the entire premise of the show, it's interesting though but yeah, and had like a difficult hand dealt to him, it is insult to injury and finding the singer, it's really quite unfortunate some of the other things that I think is are, are interesting here with this ending, there's quite a bit of those lessons, you know, Jamie really hasn't let it go that uh, Jenna said that Tyrion <laughs> is Tywin's son and that he's she's like, yeah, I mean, I guess you are too, but not like Tyrion. And there's a lot of emphasis on carrying out your threats in this. You kind of see it a bit. I, As Don really pointed out, you know, Jamie's like, you know, if I say I'm going to slap you, I'm going to slap you. And he does it. But it continues to be a matter of fandom speculation and debate as to whether or not Jamie would have like trebucheted. Ednard's Child, I remember uh, prior to recording this episode, Donnelly was like, yes, this is the, the episode of the trebuchet, right? And and that's an, I think, iconic line for people when it comes to this chapter and the threats that Jamie makes. And I do think that there's a difference, right, between Jamie and Cersei compared to Tyrion and their relationships and emulation of Tywin. Like, Cersei, I don't know, she doesn't really make threats in the same way. She just kind of does things. She's like, whatever, we're just going to do crazy things we're just gonna do wild things, and she just does it, right, without a threat to try and get what she wants to some extent. And Jamie here, f- he ends up mostly freeing Edmure, right, rather than carrying out, like, Ryman's threat, and offers a different path out, rather than just, like, following through on, yeah, we're gonna hang him. And he doesn't take any of Brendan Tully's bait either, but I-, I think that in many ways shows how he's not like Tywin. Tywin would have been like, alright, fuck it, we're gonna do it. Whereas Tyrion is... Is Tywin writ small because he did make a threat to Tywin. He said that if Tywin called Taisha you know then the word he used was horror, like one more time, that he's gonna shoot him. And Tyrion carried through on that threat, no hesitation. He's like, whatever. I said I was gonna do it and I did it, and that's what makes Tyrion the son of Tywin. But all throughout this chapter, Jamie keeps trying to find another way, a way that's uh better, and tries to preserve his own honor and the oaths that he made to Catelyn Stark. And, and the threat isn't very Tywin Lannistery either. either. Um, in fact, I, I would say that the construction of it actually kind of, and the way that the language sounds, reminds me of a different story. The construction of the threat and the way that it all builds on each other actually really reminds me, for some reason, of the language in Wesley's To the Pain speech, to... Humperdink in The Princess Bride right down to the interjection of like no, you thought that was the twist and that's what was going to make it bad but it's actually this like at the end and you know To remind you all, like, that, the line goes, To the pain needs this. If we duel, you win death for me. If we duel and I win, life for you. But life on my terms, the first thing you'll lose will be your feet. Below the ankle, you will have stumps available to use within six months. Then your hands at the wrist. They heal somewhat quicker. Five months is a fair average. Next your nose, no smell of dawn for you. Followed by your tongue, deeply cut away. Not even a stump left. And Then your left eye. And then my right eye. Then my ears. And shall we get on with it? The prince said, wrong! Wesley's voice rang across the room. Your ears you keep so that every shriek of every child shall be yours to cherish. Every babe that weeps in fear at your approach. Every woman that cries, dear God, what is that thing? Will reverberate forever with your perfect ears. And I, I think within the context of that, this chapter, this actually makes a lot of sense. Like the way that it's constructed of Jamie, like detailing, like, this is how we're going to tear down your castle. And finally, we're going to trebuchet your baby over the walls of it. And like, I think it's quite fitting to have that comparison, in my opinion, because towards the top, right, like, Wesley is, Jamie is is bluffing, despite knowing that he couldn't actually fight Brynden Tully at that moment, especially with his disability. I mean, we've seen him with Ellen Payne, right? Like, it happens quite a few times, and maybe this final threat is a bluff, too, or not. Again, matter of much fandom debate. And it's something that Jaime has to learn to do sparingly and wisely, because after a while people are going to be like, all right, so you can't fucking fight, dude.
0: That's a great point. Yeah, he has to use this sparingly because people are going to start calling him on this shit. And I mean, I don't know, there's something about the fact that like there's all these plants in his party, like Wrath the Sweetling is not a Lannister. He goes where the food and money is, right? He goes where the gold is. Like he's not a Lannister crony. He's just there like a carrion crow above the body and
1: a feast for crows
0: some yeah exactly a feast for crows and tom of seven streams being here we already know he leaks info because rhyming gets hanged immediately after this on the road right so tom of seven streams probably just hanged around no pun intended and got a bunch of lannister war operating information like he knows where jamie is sending his parties so I know a lot of people believe there's going to be a Red Wedding 2.0. I'm sure there's going to be some sort of similar event. I'm not sure if that's what it will be, you know, obviously, but it'll be that kind of event. It'll be some sort of wedding, probably for Dabin. And it'll be the Red Wedding 2.0. And all the plans for it, if Tom of Seven Streams is hanging around in Jamie's plot, he's going to hear all the planning going on for all of this and take all that planning and go tell the Brotherhood and guess where Jamie goes in a dance with dragons. Like, off to meet his fate. He did this to himself while he was trying to keep that peace.
1: There's a lot of secret secret singers in yeah. these two books. This, Mance.
2: Yes. That's true, Abel. Yeah, so you know what? No, no more uh, no more inviting any singers anywhere. Treacherous bastards. Yeah, Marillion. <laughs> oh
0: Marillion, yeah. Oh
2: yeah. Shit. That guy sucks
0: too. They all suck. You're right. Mm-hmm. I kind of like Thomas Seven's dreams. I'm not gonna lie.
1: He's all right. He's okay. He's all right. Trying to think of singers that I like in this story.
0: Nope, not really. They don't exist. Well, what do you think, Don Willie? Jamie Six.
2: Love the chapter. Love the juxtaposition that this put Jamie in, in terms of him trying to rehab his image in the eyes of non Lannister people but at the end of the day basically saying it's like you know what no they already have their image of me i i basically have to reinforce that now because that's the only way to get them to cooperate and and actually get peace it's like i was trying to get peace by trying to appeal to uh people's self interest but you know, apparently that doesn't work. Even even if you hand them the best case scenario for them, if they don't like you and they have a particular bias against you, it's like, I right, will find. And since you're not going to listen to what most people would consider to be reason, now you're just you're gonna force me to be the guy that you think I am. Like Tyrion says at his trial, you know.
0: Wish I was half the monster you all think I am. And he says, fine, I'll be the monster you think I am.
2: Yeah, you know, Jamie was ultimately left with no choice because the two people that he had to appeal to in order to make this work were both like, uh, well, okay. It's not that Edmure, Edmure didn't necessarily, like, rebuff what he was proposed but the fact is, you even said, well, what if I say no? It's like, oh, okay, fine. Th- is this what we're doing right now? Like, you're already captive. What is it going to win you to say no? But fine, since, since you want to hear what the alternative is, if you say no, here's the alternative. Yeah. I kill everybody in the castle. And, yes, it might take a while since it's a siege. Your wife's not in the castle with you. will want to meet your son since you have no kids right now. So, I'll just make sure to bring him here and fling him over the walls with a trebuchet. Like I mean, he's in his bathtub. He's naked. Like, that's pretty, like, you have him. You know, like, there's... Sorry, little fish. You're not going anywhere. But not only is he naked in his bathtub, he's naked... In his bathtub, and there are witnesses mm-hmm. hearing the horrible things that will supposedly happen to everyone sitting in the castle. And then hearing mm-hmm. hearing that Jamie is planning on possibly flinging a newborn baby over the walls of the castle via a trebuchet. Yeah. Like... Yeah. You don't get more ruthless than that when it comes to things, and and that's part of the reason why, again, that, that abomination that we experienced, this makes it a lot more ruthless because it, it's not him kowtowing to, I just want to get back to Cersei. I, you know, like, no, like, this is just like, look, I, I'm trying to give you something worth having. I'm trying to help you save face to a certain extent just give me the damn castle tell your men to you know to stop fighting and things can go back to status quo as they were pretty much before all of this started and I mean at least that's the way that Jamie see obviously it's not status quo if, if the Freys are now in control of the twins and riverrun And also, you know, Lord Paramount of Trident. So that isn't status quo for him, but it's like, well, the other option is you fight against me. We have more soldiers than you. We ultimately will have more provisions and we're going to make this as difficult as we possibly can. And not only are we killing everybody, but I'm going to make you suffer in a way that you have never even thought about suffering before.
1: It's interesting the way that you're talking about like they're they're leaning into a lot of that reputation that precedes the Lannisters whether or not like Jamie would do it he's using it it's it's a tool right and you really start to see the Lannisters do that and try to wield that Cersei hasn't quite figured out how to do that other than as a royal and she tries to to wield it over her own family but she struggles to do so with the Tyrells because they of course have their own reputation and strength that they can lean on but Tyrion learns to do it and and so does jamie and just for good or bad utilizing the darker parts of their reputation to their advantage even even if the outcomes could be arguably good we haven't quite seen that yet and so you kind of have to question like the means etc
0: yeah sink or swim right adapt or die and Tyrion obviously has to adapt to a new setting new environment new people which some would argue it feels like he's been building up towards that cersei obviously is not going to survive uh there is no version of this story where cersei survives and i think everybody knows that that's kind of why you gotta love to hater, her right those chapters are freaking nuts because you're like you are crazy and you're gonna die someday and it's a little sad in the end, right? It's a little pathetic. And Jamie is the in between of these two. Where does he go? Right? And I think that's something I personally am really excited to continue exploring with you, Eliana, and with Don Willie when the time allows for it. Absolutely. Uh and yeah, that's Jamie Six, right? In A Feast for Crows. We have
1: one more
2: left after this.
1: In a Feast for Crows. Uh Don Willie, did you cover this chapter with uh the Hypes Watch?
2: We did 26 rereads. This may have been one of them. If not, it, it, this might be one that maybe we, you know, cover it as part of the comeback and we have you guys on.
0: Hey,
2: we would love to.
0: Well, we hope we can have you on again sometime in the future. As you know, our POVs do not go uh, chapter to chapter. They go POV chapter to POV chapter. So you might have to wait to get a good one that you want next, but we'll chat about it off air for sure.
2: Yeah, listen. This has been an absolutely amazing experience, and I am I'm I'm still amazed at this point that people want to hear me speak at all.
1: <laughs> well, we do. Not really. You're one of the first people to like invite me into the fandom and to guest on things. So, don't even. Yeah, we were excited <laughs> to have you on.
2: Absolutely.
1: You've been in this game making stuff.
2: Oh, listen. I'm, longer. I'm, I'm excited to be here. You know, thank you very much for having me, and, and you guys are doing great work for the fandom out there, and you are much needed. So thank you for the work that you've been doing to, to keep this fandom alive.
0: We love you too, Don Willie. Tell everyone where they can find you on the internet, your Twitter, your YouTube, everything. Let them know one more time so that we make sure they find you.
2: All right, so you can find me, uh, my channel on YouTube, Don of Ice and Fire. Also, you can find me on The Hypes Watch. Uh, if you are into Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., tune into my friend Darren Jake's channel, known as D's Reviews, D-apostrophe-S Reviews, Friday Nights, or, you know, catch, catch it when you can, Fans of S.H.I.E.L.D. As far as on Twitter, you can find me at I, Don Willie or uh, I changed it recently. I got <laughs> I got my old name back. I got the name that I should have had all this time. Yes. But, uh, yeah, Don Willie aka Real Azora, Hype aka Salt King. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful.
1: The Salt King. I love it.
2: Yes. Yeah, the the salt must still be spread. It must flow.
1: <laughs> it must flow. It's interesting uh you got to you got to read dune apparently yeah we gotta get you there spices <laughs> that gotta that gotta flow we can do it together i haven't i keep to saying i'm gonna read it so actually don't depend on me <laughs> <laughs> i i keep saying i'm gonna read then i'm like what if i read this other thing instead <laughs> I'm undependable
2: well you know what i'll, I'll have to get on dune all right i'll hold you to that i would love you to uh read dune and i'd love to chat about it with you i am definitely
0: down for that well, make sure you tune in next week where we will have our friend Kristen who moderates the huge Song of Ice and Fire Facebook group. And she has written about Jamie and Brienne on her Tumblr, tons of meta there. So we will be linking that in the future. As always, you can find us on social media at Girls Gone Canon on Twitter, C A N O N, or at Girls Cannon at gmail.com where you too can send us a quick email about the episode, questions, comments. Or maybe you want to send us your version of a Girls Gone Canon episode. We've still only received one.
1: Just saying. We've only received one, and it's a His Dark Materials episode if you too would like to make your parody of a Girls Gone Canon episode. But if you want non-parod- I mean, in a way, we're kind of parodies of ourselves, too, let's be real. Uh, Episodes of Girls Gone Canon, you can find us on Google Play, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher, Probably something else, too, that I'm missing.
0: Yes, you name it. Or you can also get our feed from patreon.com slash where we post our episodes as well as special episodes for patrons in the $5 and up tier, the stranger tier. This month, we began our coverage on His Dark Materials, Books of Dust. Number one, La Belle Sausage, La Belle Sauvage, Aliana's favorite, my favorite. Can't wait to continue covering that with you. Next month, we will likely be covering something A Song of Ice and Fire, like The Three Cities, or maybe something else. We'll see. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe.
1: And I've been another one of your hosts, Eliana. Thank you, Don Willie, for joining us once more, a.k.a. what was it? I Hate Your Pants? Was that your name?
2: Oh, uh, that, was, that was the D&D one. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the DND. See? <laughs> Nerd cred, come on. Only, you know, real nerds... Uh, uh, play D, but yeah you know aka i hate your pants, aka azora hype aka the salt king aka all all the things
1: <laughs> he's a many-faced he is a many-faced god
2: yeah i guess Damn.
1: all these names <laughs> thanks again don Willy, and we will talk to you guys soon